Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Guess what day it is? It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend, Friday, Friday. Good morning, happy Friday. Everybody, keep your head on a swivel. It's April 1st. I hate to spoil it for those of you that are trying to perpetrate pranks on your co-workers and cohorts and family. Randy, April Fool's Day is like Fight Club. The first rule of April Fool's Day is you don't, don't acknowledge uh, it. Don't acknowledge April Don't Fool's acknowledge Day. it because there are some tricksters out there who are trying to get their friends and families. So one time, this was oh, probably 1994-ish, I... Uh, took a, an old glove, like an old work glove, and put red paint on it and put it on our bed for Joan, because it was right after the OJ thing. You and OJ. You yeah, have oh, got I loved this OJ, OJ fetish. It, it was great. Another time I took a uh, picture of myself wearing a bike helmet. It was like from the Moonlight Ramble. A small picture just of my head and taped it onto the front of a chocolate bunny and put it in the fridge. So she opened the fridge door and there was Randy as a chocolate bunny. <laughs> Best Pranks that you've ever pulled off on uh, April Fool's Day, 65780. The best one we ever did was last year. Yeah, and we got our buddy Anthony Stalter. Yeah. So apparently, he says he's not out to get us today. I kind of think he might be. My head's on a swivel. Yeah. I said to you guys this week, I go, Anthony's Italian. He does not mm-hmm. forget. He keeps, just like I do, a running log of people who have done him wrong. Randy, you and I are on that list. Uh, yeah, we are. It's 7.03, by the way. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Matthew Rocchio is here. We now out Italian that show, though, Michelle, so they know they know not to mess with it because now it's not just he's That's not just right. coming after one you know one paisan he's, now, now it's, it's due and it's on a Friday which means we have three because we have Joe Vitale who's joining us oh, exactly. right. that's yeah. right that's That'd right dangerous think about that Anthony I'll have to text BT I'll, and it might have been I don't think it was Berkman no I think it was Wayno's truck that somebody got and took to the Roger Dean Stadium, the, the terrace area, and put it up for auction. And Wayno's sitting in the dugout saying, I think that's my truck. <laughs> and then they weren't April Fool's jokes, but the pranks that Chris Long pulled as a member of the St. Louis Rams were just epic. One time, the Rams went to Seattle, and he hired a carpenter to build buildings around all of the rookies vehicles there were like six of them uh, the rookie db's vehicles and so they got back and there's no doors no windows or anything and the players are pressing the the button their key fobs and their cars are honking inside these huts 
at two in the morning after a trip to Seattle, but they can't get these things open. So they had to get a carpenter the next day to tear all the huts down. Legendary. He also filled James Laurinaitis's car filled with crickets, I right. believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those guys at Rams Park, they used to get each other pretty good. That was pretty fun. We do have Joe Vitale coming up on the show. We've got Jay Delsing at the bottom of this hour. We're going to talk to David Perron at nine. Brad Osmus, former Angels manager who managed... Albert Pujols in Anaheim a couple of years ago. Brad will join us at 9.15 and a lot of other cool stuff coming your way. The Blues are in action, by the way, tonight. They'll take on Edmonton. 7 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN, your home of the Blues. 8 o'clock with the faceoff. And tomorrow, not only do you have the Blues and the Calgary Flames, but you have the Final Four. Game 1 pregame at 2.30 in the action at 5.09. And you have Michelle tomorrow, KU Villanova, followed by North Carolina and Duke. One of the all-time great games that we're going to see in NCAA tournament history. The first time that UNC and Duke is going to face off in the tournament in the Final Four with Coach K's final season hanging in the balance. I mean, what more can you ask for? It's going to be pretty awesome. I can't wait to watch. Because if you enjoy stories, what better story could there be in college basketball than Coach K coaching his final game in the Final Four against his fiercest rival. Or maybe it's not his final game. Maybe he goes on to cut the nets down. In his final year. But isn't it crazy that those two teams have not faced off in the tournament ever? It's amazing. Just as many times as they've both been in the tournament, you would think... And in the Elite Eight? Yes, and in the Elite Eight, you just think at some point their paths would have crossed. And that's the crazy thing about sports is you can get to 2022 and see something for the first time. I want to take 30 seconds here just to tell a little story. So as you know, we, we mention it pretty much every day that we're doing a complete renovation of our building here at Hubbard Radio and our printer that we use every day disappeared it's not there today Mm -hmm. and so I saw Courtney Landrum from the arch walking down the hall looking for the printer I just saw you man walk down the hall he's looking for the printer nobody was told that the printer is gone but we don't have a printer today so I was talking to Courtney and she said she has to have paper I said I'm going old school and actually I'm going new school I'm going green today Michelle no paper very, very little paper. Are we sure that they're not April Foolsing us? Did they be. just remove our printer it, as a prank? It could have happened. Yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I that prank. I got, I got stuff printed anyway. Yeah, he's uh, he's all over it. Michelle, the Cardinals lost last night in Florida to the Marlins, seven to four. A uh, couple of notable performances, though. Tyler O'Neill goes two for three, and his OPS during the spring not great, but it's up to five ninety eight. The most notable spring, as far as I'm concerned, among offensive players for the Cardinals, has come from Paul DeYoung. Yes. He was two for three last night, three RBIs. He's hitting five hundred with an OPS of one point five one five. He talked about the work that he had done during the off season. And it appears to have worked at least in the spring because DeYoung is not only productive, not only getting hits, but he's hitting the ball hard. This is the Paul DeYoung the Cardinals were hoping to see. And Mm -hmm. yes, it's just spring training. We're talking about practice here. But isn't spring training a time for you to get encouraging signs about where a player is? And I don't know how fans could not be watching what we're seeing out of Paul DeYoung and be encouraged. Also last night, we knew when Jack Flaherty went down before the Cardinals had played a game that that fifth starter's job at the beginning of the season was going to open up. Not a great spring for Chris Vonderha. The uh, you mean Drew Verhagen? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Michelle. Yeah, Drew okay. Verhagen. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm take that statue down. Yeah. Gotta take that statue down. Uh, three innings, seven earned runs. He struck out four, but did walk three. And uh, his ERA, Chris Vonderhaad, Drew Verhagen's ERA, during the spring, 10.13. I don't know if I want 
and him starting on uh, the first series of the series. Yeah, we just what we said about Paul DeYoung about spring training yeah. being the time to get some encouraging signs. Don't know if we're having that same conversation. I'm thinking no. I'm thinking no too. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle, a bombshell story dropped by Bob Nightingale of USA Today yesterday, and it kind of fell into his lap, and it's kind of a weird thing. So the Padres are playing at Camelback. The Dodgers and White Sox uh, share the Camelback Ranch facility down in Arizona. The home field for the Padres is in Peoria, Arizona. And... Well after game, only the grounds crew is around, and the only other person in the ballpark with Bob Nightingale is the former Cardinal manager, Mike Schilt, sitting in the Padres dugout and still stewing after getting fired by the Cardinals and opening up more than he ever has. And if you haven't read the piece yet by Bob Nightingale, go to usatoday.com. But a couple of notable things. Number one, Here's Mike Schiltz, who's got a job with MLB and with the Padres now. But he said to Bob Nightingale, quote, I have a broken heart. It still hurts. It hurts bad. When it first happened, I broke down. I was inconsolable. I got better as time went on. Then I got down here, put on the Padres uniform, and it hit me. Now it just hit me again. I also love the quote, Randy, from Mike Schilt, where he says, I love that organization. I gave it everything I had for 18 years. We make the playoffs after they hadn't been there for three years. We get back to the standards of the Cardinals. We're set up to really go. The clean style of play, the culture, everything is in place, and you get removed from it. It feels like it was stolen away from me. And we obviously don't know the tone, but Schilt expected to get a contract extension when he got onto a Zoom with... John Mosaylock and Bill DeWitt the day he got fired. And so they get on the Zoom, and the first thing that Mosaylock says, according to Mike Schilt, is, Mike, this conversation isn't going to go the way you think it's going to go. And they fired him. He said, Schilt said, the conversation lasted four, maybe five minutes top to this day. Schilt can't remember exactly what was said. And Michelle, as you might guess, because Mike Schilt to us, he's a really good guy. He's really a good media face for the franchise. And other managers around Major League Baseball, including Tony LaRussa, really came staunchly to Schilt's defense in the article. Yeah, we need to find the Tony LaRussa quote here. Here it is. When he was asked about Mike Schilt being let go and that the reports out there were that Schilt was fired because of a, quote, toxic environment, here's what Tony LaRussa had to say. LaRussa said, quote, that one frosted my ass. My comment was that if it was toxic, it must be in the front office. I'm for the Cardinals. Everybody makes their own decision. But when you start talking about that, it might damage his chance to manage again for those who don't know any better. He did a hell of a job. Philosophical differences, okay, but toxic? He's a special guy. That's why it's so important for his reputation to be intact and not smeared. And Tony also told Rick Hummel at stltoday.com, made a great point. He said, if you have a toxic environment, how do you win 17 in a row? in September. Everybody was cheering for each other. Everybody was smiling. How is that a toxic environment in September when you're winning? Don't toxic environments, and I'm asking this, Tony didn't, but I think Tony would, don't toxic environments generally lead to losing baseball games and people wanting to get away from it? One would think, or one would think that at least during that time that everyone was pulling the rope the same way. And if everybody is pulling the rope the same way and everyone's in lockstep and you're having success, that doesn't seem very toxic to me. I do not think, and if you're a Cardinal fan in 
Los Angeles, or if you're a Cardinal fan in Vermont, or if you're a Cardinal fan in Alabama, and you read this story, it doesn't make the Cardinal front office look very good. It does not, especially with that that dagger from Tony La Russa, mm-hmm. who comes right out and says, if it's toxic, it has to be the front office, staunchly defending Mike Schilt, because Tony La Russa is a very smart and deliberate man. There's no way that he is not going to make those comments without some intentionality behind it. So that one really stuck out to me. But, Randy, there's always three sides to every story, mm-hmm. right? There's your side, my side, and the truth. And this is Mike Schilt's version of events. We've heard a little bit about the Cardinals' version of events, but I doubt they're ever going to reveal more than they already have. It's not really beneficial for them to continue to revisit this. If Ali Marmol comes out and has success, we won't be talking about the firing of Mike Schilt. So I think the Cardinals are probably best served to just let this season play out. And by the way, they have some pretty good storylines that I think are going to take shape here soon. And it's going to make us forget about this. But it all circles back, Randy, to something that we have kind of heard about that may have been percolating for a while. And that's that... Well, it's not even something that we've just been hearing about. They came out and said, this is philosophical differences. We want everyone to be on the same page. But I think it invites the question, are people allowed to have dissenting opinions within this within this organization? Yes, you want everyone to be in lockstep with one another, but the best organizations, the best businesses, the best people look at things from every angle. There's not growth without conflict. There's not growth without challenging the status quo. Mm-hmm. And when Mike Schultz says, there were just some things I felt could be better and I thought I was in a safe place to share them, clearly I wasn't, that raises a little bit of a red flag to me. And Again, we could be interpreting Mike Schultz's words, and in reality, it could have been the way that he was going about sharing these thoughts that he had. He could have put the Cardinals in a really tough position, and they had to make a choice one way or the other. We'll never really know, but one thing I do hope is that even if they really believe in their philosophy and they want everyone to be on the same page, I do hope that they're welcoming people to push them to think about things in a critical manner. Yeah, you would hope so. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. This is 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's time for Peak or Pit here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Up into the peaks or into the pit. Peaks and pits. Join in on the conversation with Carriker and Smallman now. Text 65780. This is 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Peak and Pit. Jay Delsing coming your way in about 10 minutes here on 101 ESPN. And we've got some questions. If you would like to ask a question of Jay Delsing, feel free to send an email to askuncleRandy at 101ESPN.com. That's a multi-purpose email address yes. for Wednesdays and Fridays. But if you have a question for Jay, feel free to drop us a line. Michelle. My peak is that after four miserable days, we have a crystal clear, sunny sky in St. Louis. That's my peak. My pit is that it's 33 degrees. Yeah, it's really cold. It's really cold outside, but at least we do have the sunshine. That's better than not having the sunshine, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Are you going to golf? Today? Yeah. Not when it's 40 degrees. No, I'm I'm a weather wuss. So, and it looks like it is windy. I'm seeing the flag at the... Uh, firehouse across the street so for me it's like 50 degrees without wind is where i'll play i'll play 60 degrees 
with wind. But I do not play golf when it's below 50 degrees. I don't I'm blame you. Total wuss. I don't want to do many things when it's below 50 no. degrees. No, I don't either. Randy, my peak is back-to-back wins and back-to-back strong performances this week from your St. Louis Blues. How about those Blues? Getting those two wins against Vancouver after a rough weekend Mm -hmm. uh, versus Carolina. That one was pretty concerning for me. Only 7-2. Only counts as one loss. But, you know, we we kind of had made ourselves feel better about some of the inconsistencies by saying, but they play up to talent. They play up to their opponents. And then, you know, the Carolina game, not so much. No. They might lose a playoff series. It could happen. They it might definitely not, could happen. The Blues may not win the Stanley Cup this year. I'm just tossing that out there. It's a possibility. You, I just want people to be braced. You shut your mouth, Randy. Come on. I just want you to be ready in case it happens. Oh, are you doing the thing where you say something and then the opposite happens? I'm not saying. <laughs> okay. Well, that is the strategy. I applaud it. I applaud it. we got to get the cup in here so you can smooch it again. That's what needs to happen. That, needs, that would be the play, yeah. If they don't capture another cup in this window, will you consider it a failure? Because I don't. I think no. as long as they get one, I'm good with it. And I know that that's an unpopular opinion because we should be striving. I mean, one of the pillars of our show is all roads lead to hardware. Right. But I just try to be realistic. Michelle... I've had an intimate relationship with the cup. My life is complete. I've seen it. Yeah. Well, I didn't see it firsthand, but yeah. I heard about it. Mm. I heard the details. Yeah. <laughs> it was all over People Magazine and Us Weekly. Yeah, you documented it even with a tat. <laughs> it, that moment was so <laughs> special right. to you. That you got a tat to commemorate. Yeah. Uh, and Randy, I think my pit is that we don't have Cardinal baseball yet. After the exciting move that the Cardinals did bringing in Albert Pujols, I feel like, you know, this anticipation for the home opener Mm -hmm. has reached kind of a fever pitch for me and I hate that we have to wait a couple more days for it to get there. I know it's right around the corner but I am so ready for the home opener. It's going to be great. We're going to be out at the Budweiser Brew House, the newly reopened Budweiser Brew House all day on Thursday, our show. I think T-Mac's going to be actually here in studio with the balloon party. You mean Tim McKernan? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then uh, BK and Ferrario in the fast lane all out at the Budweiser Brewhouse. And then we're going to have a little party, I think. I think the uh, management people might like us and might have a little party over at the Budweiser Brewhouse, too. That sounds great. I can't yeah. wait. It's going to be an awesome day. All right. Uh, our producer engineer is the great Matthew Rocchio, and he's got your peaks and pits. What do you got, sir? From the 620, my pit working my sixth of seven long days in a row, and I'm totally exhausted. Peak, braving the chilly day to, power, to play some golf and power up for day seven. See, that guy's playing. Playing golf. Yeah, go, He's a gamer too. We, we, he works six or seven days in a row. He's a gamer. Yeah, he is. Grind it out. Yeah, good for you. I'm, I think those are good. Got some gamers on the text line today. Three one four. Peak. I got an unexpected ten percent raise yesterday. All right. Pit. Yes. Woo. This weather's killing my vibe. I want to go celebrate outside at a brewery. Yeah, that is true. It's April. Spring is sprung, allegedly. Yeah. You know, when you think April, spring is sprung, disagree. you want to be on a patio. We are a patio city. We are. We don't have the mountains. We don't have the beach. But let me tell you something. We have many a patios for you to celebrate with a nice alcoholic beverage. But and you can celebrate cold. with your dog on that patio. That's true. That's true. Uh, so can the weather cooperate? We're ready to yeah. party. 10% raise in gas is three eighty one a gallon. Ugh. Yeah. Hope you don't drive a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was rough filling out the other day. Uh, 314 Pit. I didn't win the lottery this week. Peak. Neither did anybody else. Another goal on Saturday. <laughs> I wonder what it's up to. I don't I'm know, like, but I'll play. Can't win if you don't play. I told you that I got my fortune told, or my. Uh, I went to a psychic, and the guy told me that I would win the lottery in the spring. Last spring. <laughs> 
Yeah, but you know what? The pandemic, Randy, timelines are a little adjusted. Oh, okay. And you, yeah, you can't take prophecies yeah. literally, Randy. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's ephemeral. You got you to interpret it different ways. And you know what he, did? he told me? He said this could go one or two ways. He's like, but I've never told anybody this. He, and maybe he's a liar. I don't think so. His name was Michael. He seemed pretty legit. He told me that it could mean one of two things, that everything in my life falls together at once, and so I'm hitting the life lottery, uh-huh. or that I win the actual lottery. But he goes, the way I'm looking at this, you might want to play those numbers. I'd and buy a ticket. have you been? No, I have not. I did last <laughs> spring, and it didn't work. We're now in spring. We're now in spring. So you better start up. I'm going to go to the gas station today. And 222 you know million for the Powerball tomorrow. And you guys are both getting a cut if I win. Well, I like this. Let me see what the Mega Millions is for tonight. Just do for you guys fun. play the same numbers? Because I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah, there's I'm not gonna reveal them because I don't want to share my winnings. I play with anyone, a couple of the same numbers, but then I change it to other ones. Just Mega to millions tonight is seventy mil. <sighs> God. Wouldn't that be nice? That's What's good. the other one? Two hundred mil? Two hundred and twenty two. Two two two. Okay. Lucky the lucky number? Two? I'm not gonna say, but okay. let's just say I will be playing. From the six thirty six, we got more patio problems. I passed the final test to become a CPA. All right, that's his yes. peak, obviously. Very exciting. There you go. The, the planned celebration can't be held on a patio tonight. Oh, oh darn. Man. You know what? I'm sure six five seven eight zero Air Comfort Service text line. I'm sure there are some delightful patios in the St. Louis area that have heaters out there. No doubt about it. There are. Tell us if there's a great patio with some heaters that we like. can send these people who are in, in a celebratory mood who want to hit up a patio. Now, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. As BT would say, get my umbrella out really blowing out somebody else's candle doesn't make mine burn brighter. I know. I love that. That great being line. said, why would you celebrate passing a test so that you can do math for the rest of your life? Because you worked really hard towards it and you passed. You earned something. You completed something, you accomplished something, and you're likely going to make more money because you passed that test. I often do a piece, uh, uh, it's a a session with youngsters, uh, with Boys and Girls Club of St. Louis, formerly Matthews Dickey Boys and Girls Club. And so we do a panel every spring for kids that are going to college and give, we bring in a group of people from the professional world. And... There are several CPAs that uh, come to those, and every CPA says, I've never met an unemployed CPA. There you go. Because there's always going to be great demand. So, youngsters, if you want a field where you're going to A, make money, and B, be employed, uh, get that CPA license. Some patios with some heaters mm-hmm. from our great textures, the BLIS. A lot of people saying Fast Eddie's. Fast Eddie's oh, is a Oh, can't go wrong spot. there. Can't go wrong with Fast Eddie's. Billy G's. Tam Av has a heated cover patio, allegedly. Rockwell and Francis Park has many heaters on their patio. And Cyberg's in St. Peter's. So there you go. There are some options. Oh, great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, golf tips for you from Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. Every Sunday morning, you hear Jay Delsing here on 101 ESPN. And Jay joins us on Friday to get ready for that show. And he's with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Jay, good morning. How are you doing? Hey, good morning, guys. I'm doing well. It's just way too cold for golf, Randy. It, I'm with you. Thank you very much. I'm glad that you, because you are former PGA pro. If you're saying it's too cold, then it's too cold. 
Oh man, I've turned into the biggest wuss. I mean, if it's not, I mean, I'm thinking my each year my attempt moves up. I'm like I'm about 65 now, almost matching my age, which is frightening. Okay, so I got to get uh, some info from you here, and we're going to take you behind the curtain. I get a text the other morning during your show and says, "Hey, can you ask JY he or one of his accounts got banned from social media? What's going on here?" Did oh, you, my God. I have no idea. Did, oh, okay. I thought you and Pearlie were talking on the show about one of your, maybe it was the show oh, account. No, per, we get, I get Pearlie such grief because I put him in charge of social media because he doesn't even know how to get on Twitter. <laughs> he doesn't even know. He doesn't, he, he doesn't, I give him, I go, Pearlie, you've got eight seconds to give us an update on our social media. And he's like, everything's fine most of the time. And then he tells this story that we've been banned, we're, we're not banned. I mean, I, if we're banned, Randy, I don't even know about it. <laughs> it's brutal. All right. Hey, we have asked your listeners here for questions about their golf game so that you can provide some answers. And so we're going to provide you just some, some shotgun questions, okay? Absolutely. Let's go. Okay, Jay, I have two from David from the 618. First question from David. He says, I picked up golf in my mid-20s and I'm now 37. I'm not great, but I'm not looking to be a scramble ringer either, so I've never considered lessons. My main question is the only way I can hit my driver straight is to slow down my swing, but I lose a lot of distance. Any ideas on ways to increase distance without losing control? Yeah, good. Really good question. I mean, first of all, most males. The, third, the question I get every year, Michelle, is how do I hit it farther? You know, and not that many people ask me how to hit it straighter. <laughs> they just want to hit, hit a bomb every now every now and again. So it's a real easy. The, the formula is a, a math formula. You need speed. You've got to increase your club head speed. And what's happening when? Um, I think you said Tom was his name. What happens when Tom uh, goes after it? David. He, he's loot. David, sorry, David, no, okay. sorry, David, Tom. But, um, <laughs> he's losing, he's losing part of uh, crucial positions of his body. So what he's doing is he's probably thrusting his hips in a in a way that's getting his the sequence of his swing totally out of whack. And this is where a lesson might help because um, a, a pro is going to be able to help diagnose those things and say, "Hey, David, here, try doing this." And what I would recommend, David, is when you stand over the ball at your setup, it's what we're just going to call that your posture. So the way that you set up the ball at the ball is the way that you want your body to return at impact. So imagine your hips just being a little more wide open, and then that is basically the way you want to return at impact. So try doing that and start off going slowly. So you'll still hit the ball straight and then add speed to it. Because what most people do, you guys, is they'll go from zero to a hundred. And, and it's just hard when they haven't kind of trained their body to move that way to keep it in, in control. So it gets out of whack. Now his bonus question, Jay, was what is the best course in your opinion in the St. Louis or Metro East that is public? So my buddies and I can call and get a tee time without a membership. Oh, man, I, you know, that's a great question. And when I grew up, we didn't have very many, uh, well, that's 100 years ago, but we didn't have very many public golf courses. Now there's some great options. On the um, on the near east side, you can go to Gateway National. That's a great golf course. It's um, public. Uh, I think Sean Barnes is still running the place over there. He's a, a fantastic guy. And that golf course is all bent grass. And Randy, I know, Michelle, you're like going to get coffee now when I start talking about grasses. But 
the, the, the bent grass is the same sort of surface that the greens here in the Midwest are made out of. And most of our fairways and the rest of the golf courses here are azoysia grass, which is this springy kind of grass that goes dormant in the winter. It's an entirely bent grass golf course over there. It's really unique. It's really fun to play. Uh, that's where I'd say on the east side, you know, on, on the – Missouri side, there's Aberdeen is a great golf course. There's uh, Peavely Farms, which is also public. Uh, Normandy is going to be renovated starting this fall. The Ascension Charity Classic is now involved in this uh, renovation. Jack Nicholas is going to come to Normandy, to North County, and make Normandy a Jack Nicholas signature golf course. He's donating his fees, and it's all part of the Ascension you know, group trying to revitalize the North County area. So look for Normandy to uh, to be a, an option here in the near future. Jay Steve STL asks, Hi, Jay, do you have a tip on how to line up for a putt? Many of mine go right. So he, he's hitting his putts to the right. Uh, do you have any ideas for him? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Randy. Uh, my rookie year on tour, I had this old – the caddies were an interesting group when I played on tour, and I had this – this older guy that really wanted a caddy for me. And he told me we were going to this, we were going down to Pensacola to play in the Pensacola classic. And he said, I know the golf course really well. Everything breaks to the right. And I was like, (laughs) okay, I think I'll go somewhere else, but no. So, so Steve, what we need to do is get you on the putting green, get whatever ball you're using and put a small, uh, get a Sharpie and put a small, a guiding or aiming line on your uh, on your ball, and what's happening is that that line is going to give you a bunch of different feedback. So when you strike your putt, you're going to want to hit that ball squarely, right? You're going to want to hit the ball uh, square to your putter face so that it rolls where you're aiming. And when you look at the way that ball is going to strike, Steve, if that ball doesn't roll tightly with that line going on rolling on top of itself, it'll tell you that your face is coming into the ball awkwardly. Most likely, Steve, what you're doing is coming from out to in, causing it to almost hit like a little slice putt. So most of your putts break out to the right, so you're probably putting a little left to right spin on it. So I want you to stand over that putt. I want you to stroke that ball and, and, and mess around with your club face at impact until you get that ball striping and rolling straightly. Tiger is the first guy. Well, Brad Faxon actually did it, but he didn't get too famous about it. But Tiger's the first guy and had the man, and has the manufacturer, he's playing Bridgestone now, uh, um, send him his golf balls with the line already on it. All the rest of us uh, humans have to put the line on it ourselves. Jay, one other quick note, and tell me, this works for me. I don't know if I'm being smart or not, but uh, I had a, a guy I was playing with say, hey, uh, because I was doing the same thing, he said, just open up your stance a little bit, because I, I think I was playing with a closed stance, and I thought I, I didn't know I was. So I feel like I have a better look now at the yep. at yep. the hole. Yeah, Randy, so typically speaking, guys, whenever you're missing – one way or the or another, it's usually because you're aiming in the opposite direction. Meaning, Randy, you if if you uh, if if I am continually hooking my driver, most people when they when they when they do something like that, let's say most people slice the driver, right? Because that's what about ninety percent of golfers do. They just keep aiming farther left, and basically what that does is guarantee the fact that you're going to keep slicing. Because it because if you, the farther left you aim, you know your target is out to the right. You're going to continue that path, and that's what gets people so frustrated. 
So if you're continually missing out to the right, Steve, with your putter, you're nine times out of ten need to aim, check your aim, because you're probably aiming too far left. And what happens is the more he misses to the right, the more he aims left, and the more he, he, he just ingrains this sort of slice. So for you, Randy, being closed, opening up really helps your eye line to get a, a look down at where you want this putt to go. It, it's, it's really beneficial with your putting. And you can putt well with a slightly open stance. Man, a slightly closed stance when you putt, it makes it almost impossible. So much great information, Jay. Okay, we have one more question. It's from Dale. He says, hi, Randy, Michelle. Love you guys. Listen all the time. Big fan of Jay's as well. My question for Jay is, what should I be thinking about pre-swing? I've worked hard at the range on mechanics, but I realize a lot of my strokes are lost as a result of of bad mental preparedness. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. That is a good, that is, well, that's the crux of golf, isn't it? I mean, that's where, you know, it's like the, the toughest part of the game is the six inches between our our ears. I have Scott McCarron on the show. He's won 11 times on uh, this Sunday. He's won 11 times on the Champions Tour, three times on the regular tour, and we went to college at UCLA. Uh, he's on uh, UCLA Bruin. And he talked about getting into this state of mind where once you're over the ball, all I want to do is swing. I don't want to think about my elbow. I don't want to think about anything except where I want the ball to go. It's so much more athletic than people give golf credit for. People, I, I see this all the time, you guys, and I, I've played in literally thousands of pro-ams, and I can, I can just put like a little X on each player that's re, trying to recapture the last 12 issues of Golf Digest while he's trying to hit. You know, it's, it's, you, your brain just gets in the way. There's way too much thought. What I would suggest is try to take one uh, not too complicated swing thought and try to get some feel. And then when you stand over the ball, duplicate that feel that you think is going to create that shot. Because the only thing that we have, our only contact with the club is in our hands, and we're going to get that feedback that way. When you start getting your mind so active, oh, man, it's brutal. It just, it, when I think too much, I am awful. I, I could miss a putt of any length if I'm thinking about it too much. If I can try to plug back into being a kid with a stick and a ball that wants this ball to go in the hole, then I have a chance. But when I start thinking about my elbow or my foot or, oh, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Or, please don't miss this putt. Man, <laughs> I miss every time. I miss every time. I mean, I miss every time. We will hear golf with Jay Delsing Sunday morning at 9. Who do you got coming up? I got Scott McCarron. He, he's won 11 times on the Champions Tour and three on the regular tour, and a really fun guy. Talks uh, coming back from some ankle surgery and talks a lot about the mental game and just just golf, just just stuff to put you guys to sleep. No, uh, we we love it. And next week we'll be talking about the Masters. Jay, always great to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time and have a great weekend. You guys too. Thanks for having me on. See you later. That's our friend Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we will have Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Tioli, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it 
or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Okay, your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, Michelle, Randy, and Matthew. And Michelle, Jerry Jones reportedly has paid nearly $3 million to Alexandra Davis, the woman who says she is his biological daughter and has filed a lawsuit for him to acknowledge. Apparently, according to his attorney, she has been given a $70,000 Range Rover full tuition at SMU and also money for her mother. Take it or leave it, Jerry, along with Charlotte and Stephen, should invite Alexandra over for the Father's Day brunch. I'm going to take it because I don't think he would be buying her all of these things and giving her all of this money if he didn't know something about perhaps her DNA. <laughs> you would think. I would think, yeah, if he's paying her off that he he might know something. And yeah, isn't that what she wants is just to be, I read the story last night, just mm-hmm. legally to have her last name changed to Jones and have him be acknowledged as her dad on her birth certificate. It seems like it's reasonable. It, yeah, isn't that what she wants? Yeah. Yeah, so just invite her over. Father's Day. Hey, Talk it out. Hey, Pops. Hey, Dad. Yeah, I don't think she, I don't think Shy Anderson, by the way, the estranged husband of Charlotte Jones, Jerry's daughter that he does acknowledge. I don't think Shy is going to be invited on over to the Father's Day brunch. Things are bad between the, that family and Shy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I'm keeping up on Jera. I can I tell. Just, I just want to know what's going on. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> that has to be. Uh... An uncomfortable position for him to be in to have this be headline news. Ah, he's a football owner. Yeah, you're right. He's he, seen. He's worse. been around, you know. He's seen worse. Take it or leave it, Randy. Mike Schilt will be a manager in Major League Baseball again. I'll take it. Yeah, he will. Maybe not this year, but he will get another gig. And he really laid everything out in the article, pointing out that the Cardinals had missed the playoffs for three straight years, and under him, they made the playoffs for three straight years. He changed the culture. He cleaned things up. They were a good base running team, good defensive team, and that just didn't happen. Somebody was there to oversee that, and that's the one thing I think the Cardinals miss out on. And by the way, whatever did happen, kind of give the Cardinals credit for not saying, well, here's what happened. Here's why we had philosophical differences. Because it could be bad. I don't know. But the Cardinals have lost all connection now to the George Kissel era. George Kissel is a member of the Cardinals Hall of Fame and obviously is the greatest fundamental baseball teacher in the history of the sport. And now there really isn't a strong connection to him within the organization. Yeah. It's too bad. All right, uh, 65780. Matthew, what do you got? Take it or leave it. If Coach K wins another national championship, he's in the Nick Saban tier of coaching. Oh, take that, because he'll have, what, five, six? six? He'll have six. I I would say that he already is. I would say that Bear Bryant and Nick Saban are the top two in college football history, and John Wooden and Coach K are the top two in college basketball history. Yeah, there you go. And Pat Summitt, by the way. Yeah, of course. Um, But, yeah, they're already in the the highest of tiers, the Mm -hmm. most rarefied of errors. No doubt. Take it or leave it. Uh, a blue blood will lose by at least twenty, uh, by at least ten points in both the women's and men's tournament. And obviously, we have eight blue bloods really playing yeah. in these final four. So, a ten point loss in the men's side, a ten point loss in the women's side. Take it or leave it. 
I'm going to take it. I'm just going to go with the odds here. Yeah, Four games, right? I'm thinking that's, no, total of six games. I'm going to say that at some point in those six games, somebody wins a game by 10 or more. Do you think it will, which game are you looking KU. at? KU. That's what I was looking at, too. Yep. Yeah, KU over Villanova. Yeah, or or Duke. Just I mean, they're they, they're just revenge minded. That team oh, after yeah. what happened with UNC, I could maybe see them jumping out to a big one. Uh, take it or leave it. Chips and salsa is the best of any of the free appetizers at a restaurant. Ooh, do, really depends on where you go. Oh, I don't think so. Absolutely, take it. It's better than a bread basket. Chips and salsa you, that could be a meal unto itself. It can and has been. Yeah, so good a bread basket if it's at the right. Chevy's place. has great chips and salsa. Fantastic. That being said, some of the bread at some of the local Italian eateries, oh that when you get freshly baked bread and dip it in olive oil and uh, pepper, it's great. Parmesan, little yep. Parmesan. Yeah, yeah there's a legitimate like danger if I go to some of these Italian restaurants that I'm going to ruin my actual entree because the bread that they at the table is so darn good. Okay, yeah. but you go through one, maybe two slices of bread. Oh, you might. Don't judge me. You could go through the whole basket of chips and salsa. Well, I've cleared a bread. You I've don't cleared, think I've I could eat a, a bread basket? <laughs> I think you can. That's not what I'm suggesting. You don't think I do? I just don't know if you <laughs> do. You sit over here like, no, we've eaten baskets. <laughs> because I think that you probably are more aware of, okay, I've had two slices of bread. I think you mindlessly eat the chips and salsa. And I'm going to throw this out there. Usually the chips and salsa comes with a margarita. You're sipping mm-hmm. away. You're snacking away. It, I think it catches up with you quicker when you eat the bread too. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. how you're you're starving and it doesn't your stomach doesn't catch up with your brain. I think with chips, it's a delayed response, so you eat more. Michelle, have you ever had the biscuits at the Eckert's restaurant? Oh, that's a great point. No, I haven't. Oh man, oh, you talk about, about like that. you know how have you ever heard this that at, in a farm, if the place where the you, the f- cow feed breaks. The cows will just keep keep eating and eating and eating until they literally explode. They do they, they because they just don't. You're, like you're talking about, there's no connection between the brain and the stomach. That's what happens to me at Eckert's. Okay. With the, I just until they take them away, I just keep eating and eating and eating those biscuits. And it sounds to me like Matthew Rocchio might do that too. Yeah. If you see me at Lambert's, I'm Terrell Owens. I'm Randy mm-hmm. Moss. My go. hands, my yep. hands, my hands up the yep. entire time. I'm open. I'm open. Let's go. Deep route. Nine route. Let's go. Yeah. Good call. The entire time. Uh, take it or leave it. The Cardinals have the wrong catcher up this year to split playing time with Yachty and are missing a learning opportunity with Herrera. Leave it. Yeah, I'll leave that too. Trying to win. Uh, and Herrera just hasn't spent enough time being developed. Now, maybe you keep him up for that first month, but I don't think you do that either. I don't think you go to 14 pitchers just so that you can have Herrera sitting next to Yachty. And by the way, Yachty, is, his history isn't that he, he's really helped guys anyway. He's kind of been, he does a great job of catching, but he's not a guy that is mentoring. He provides knowledge by his play and his actions, and other players just have to watch him. And I would think Herrera's learning enough just by being around him in spring training. I hope he is. I hope he's taking this yeah, opportunity just, just, to just soak up everything he yeah, can with Yachty. That's the key. Just soak it up. Take it or leave it. How is it not a St. Louis law that we get off for opening day? It's crazy. I have no idea. Tashara, tell me. I don't know if that's point. a take it or leave it, but I guess I'm taking it that it should be a law. Yeah, take it or leave it. It's preposterous that it's not. Okay, taking. Yeah. Um, because you know that everyone is going to call off work anyway. Mm-hmm. So just give us the day. Right. I mean, we don't have to worry about that because we'll be down there, mm-hmm. and that's a perk of our job. But especially this year, if you're a boss and you're listening to this, 
Just well, get ahead of it and just give everybody the day. And Michelle, schools, should not every child be in front of a TV so that they can see the start of Albert Pujols' final season at yes. 3.15 next Thursday? Absolutely. Yeah, And I know that a lot of kids, they're already off school. But you also want them to watch the introductions, and they shouldn't have to go to school on Thursday. I think that's just criminal. Criminal. <laughs> yeah. Take it or leave it. Next Thursday is going to be one of the best days of my life. I'm 24, and I've never been to a home opener. Oh. I'm so excited, and let's go, Birds. I'm going to take it. It will be one of the best days of your life. I'll take that, too. We'd love to have you stop by and join us over at the Budweiser Brew House on Thursday morning as well. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be rocking and rolling, both. Rocking and rolling. Yeah. It will. And you know what's going to be fun, Randy, is how we pace ourselves throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to be there before 7 a.m. And we don't want to peak too soon. We have to peak for the show. But then we need to find a nice equilibrium throughout the early afternoon so that we don't peak too soon before first pitch. No doubt. We do. We will. Don't worry about that. Well, I'm already thinking about my coffee consumption Uh and how I'm going to pace this out. Because I get really excited. You know, people are probably bringing donuts to set. We'll probably be eating at the Budweiser Brew House. I'm like, okay, how do I pace this out? I would suggest intravenously. Yeah. That might not be a bad night Wednesday night for an Advil PM at about 9 (laughs) o'clock. Drug myself. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Hydrate before. Yeah, a lot of hydration. Thank you, Mr. Rocchio. We appreciate it. Thank you, Randy. Uh, That is Matthew. Michelle, I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman. Next up, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but are the Cardinals doing the right thing by not responding to Mike Schilt's assertions? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Tea. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. It is coming up on 804 in St. Louis in 3, 2, 1... Woof. 804, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, I want to go back to the USA Today Bob Nightingale piece about Mike Schilt with the quotes from Mike Schilt and how he was blindsided, but won't go into details as Mm -hmm. to why he, as a matter of fact, he says he doesn't know why he was fired. And Bob Nightingale did call John Mosaloc and he said Mosaloc, when contacted, declined to publicly revisit the reasons for Schilt's firing. He simply reiterated that there were philosophical differences saying Schilt's record and success as manager was inconsequential to the decision, which... I would think, if you listen to Tony LaRusso, would have an effect on the future ability of Mike Schilt to get another managerial job. I I wonder if the Cardinals are doing Mike Schilt a service or a disservice, and I wonder if Mike Schilt is doing a service or a disservice by not revealing what the philosophical differences were. And by the way, we should note that it was a leak from the Cardinal front office, apparently, that there was a toxic environment among the Cardinals under Mike Schilt. Yeah, there's so many tentacles to this, Randy. I feel like we could spend the next two hours breaking all of this down. But I think Mike Schilt kind of revealed what happened without directly saying it. When you say... 
to Bob Nightingale, quote, there were just some things I felt could be better and I thought I was in a safe place to share them. Clearly, I wasn't. When you say that, you're opening it up to interpretation. And the way that I interpret that is, I didn't agree with some philosophical points here. I voiced them. They didn't like my dissenting opinion. Therefore, I'm fired. Is that, uh, you think, a fair way to interpret this? I think that is. And and to me, if it had been percolating behind the scenes and there had been, um, it, this had reached a tipping point of some sort, why would he be blindsided by it then? Mm-hmm. If you knew that you had reached an impasse and you had voiced your concerns many times and they were not receptive to that and you knew that there was no path forward, I don't think that you would be as blindsided and as heartbroken as Mike Shilton. I mean, this is a guy who months later still hasn't been able to compute this happened, says that he doesn't really understand exactly how this went down or why this went down. I would think if it had gotten to that point, he would have at least been like, okay, I get it. We do have philosophical differences. You're not seeing this the same way I am, but it ju- it just kind of feels like this was out of left field, at least from the Mike Schilt point of things. Now, from the other side, and as you mentioned, there's three sides to every story. Our friend Bernie Miklas at scoopswithdannymac.com. This is from a month ago, writing, Schilt's relationship with the coaches deteriorated, and a big part of that was increasing instances of the manager having fits and berating coaches in a demoralizing way. These guys will never, ever acknowledge this publicly, but I don't think anyone on the staff sobbed when the move was made. All of the key coaches stayed on board after the firing, and that says a lot. They like and respect Ali Marmol, but it goes beyond that. Schilt's coaching staff is looking forward to a more respectful and fruitful coach-manager relationship. Bernie goes on to write at scoopswithdannymac.com. The front office wanted to keep the coaching staff intact, and Schilt wasn't willing to do that. Many will target the fans' favorite scapegoat, hitting coach Jeff Albert. And while I don't know this for an absolute fact, I feel confident in saying there was something of a showdown. I assume Schilt wanted to make a change there. Their relationship was obviously tense in 2021, but the other coaches empathized with Albert, and Albert had the backing of important veterans such as Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. We should also know that the first three players to get in touch with Schilt after he was fired, according to Schilt, were Goldschmidt, Yadier Molina, and Adam Wainwright. Yes, so much to digest there, too. And obviously, Bernie's an incredible reporter and an incredible writer, and he's very plugged in. So if he's writing this, you know that he has spoken to a lot of people to really get the temperature of of what potentially went down. And if you're the front office or ownership and you realize that between your coaching staff and your manager, there's become a disconnect. And more importantly, if some of the players are backing the other members of the coaching staff and not the manager, if the manager's already lost the clubhouse to some degree, that's not good. It's very difficult to come back from that. So I could understand why they would not only want to make this move, but potentially do it with a sense of urgency. But... I always then go back to Tony LaRusso's comments about Mike Schilt and the winning streak. If there was a toxic environment and players or the coaching staff weren't on the same page as Mike Schilt, how improbable then would it be to go on a 17-game winning streak when everybody was Mm -hmm. in flow with one another and everyone was pulling the rope the same way? And the winning streak happened at the end of the season when they went to the postseason and ultimately lost, obviously, with that one-game play-in versus the Dodgers. But it just feels like... Both sides of this can be true, but when I look at the events that transpired leading up to this, there's there's a disconnect for me. It doesn't really make sense. What I saw from this team and then what we're hearing about how this came out, it, it just doesn't connect. A, a and B does not equal C. Now, a couple of things I want to touch on here. Number one, Tony LaRusse's reaction. And he said that the comment that it was a toxic environment, he said it's 
not Schilt, it must be the front office. He said, I'm for the Cardinals. Everybody makes their own decision. But when you start talking about that, it might damage his chance to manage again for those who don't know any better. So I'm going to take that at face value and say, yes, that's a disservice to Mike Schilt. I think the Cardinals not saying what the philosophical differences were put a tremendous amount of pressure on Ali Marmol. The Cardinals have to win under Ali Marmol, or otherwise everybody looks bad here, right? Mm-hmm. Our Ali Marmol and the ownership and Mo, the front office, they've already said, we expect to win the World Series. If they don't win the World Series, and it was Mike Schilt that was holding them back from winning the World Series, then everybody's job should be on the line. Except I don't know if it necessarily is. I don't think it is, but it, they, they should be. It does put a tremendous amount of pressure on John Mozeliak because by not divulging more, you're leaving this open to interpretation. And then when the other party involved is sharing more and insinuating that because he had a dissenting voice within the organization or maybe looked at things through a critical lens. And by the way, that quote, he says, I thought there were some things that could be better. I thought I was in a safe place. I wasn't. When you approach it that way, you're saying my ultimate goal was to make this team better. And I wanted to look at it through a critical lens and that was not welcomed. And I don't know if it benefits the Cardinals to really divulge more here because what are they going to do? Let's say there is some things that were happening behind the scenes that have been left unsaid. Does it really benefit them to badmouth Mike Schilt? Does it really benefit them to share what has happened behind the scenes? If I'm the Cardinals, I'm looking at that as a chapter that's closed. We have hired a manager Mm -hmm. that clearly has great relationships within the organization with the coaching staff and with players that we think is primed and ready for this position. Mike Schilt echoed those sentiments, by the way, about Ali Marmol. We have this great farewell tour that's happening right now. We have a young group that's taking the next step. We have a team that we think is primed to go out there and potentially win. And it's the first full season with fans back in a long time. I just think if you're the Cardinals, there's a lot of things that are going to happen with the rhythm of a season that in two months we're forgetting about this. It doesn't benefit them to revisit it. I hope so. Last year, this is my last comment here. After the comments from Mike Schilt before a game and Tommy Edmond after a game, Schilt said about the hitting, we're getting too hung up on the slugging and not enough on the on-base. And then Tommy Edmond made the comments after the game about the Cardinals' in-game preparation. The Cardinal offense took off after that. If Mike Schilt was the guy that was the overseer of that change in approach, and the Cardinal offense took off and they fired him, and we see a regression of the offense at the beginning of this year, to me, that really makes the front office look bad. If they're so all in on Jeff Albert's philosophy that they're willing to fire a manager over it after a 17-game winning streak and an overall improvement of your ball club, if they're willing to fire a manager so that their hitting coach is able to implement his system, his high-level curriculum, then shame on them. And that's another thing. If I'm Bill DeWitt Jr. and I see this front office and I know what's going on, they didn't like the fact that some of Jeff Albert's philosophies were delved from, gotten away from. 
I, I got to look at the front office as an issue. If they're so in on one guy that they're willing to fire a manager who took you to the playoffs, I think that's a major, major, major problem. Yeah, this has clearly drawn a pretty deep line in the sand. Yeah. This side or that side. Yep. And I hope, by the way, I hope they win. I hope I hope all so of this I. is just a complete non-factor. And I also hope Mike Schilt has success elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But I'll say this, Randy, and I don't think we've we've really touched on this part of the article as much. But when I read that, I know the deep respect and admiration that Mike Schilt has for this organization, how much he revered that uniform Mm -hmm. and how much pride he took in being a caretaker and a steward of this franchise. But to hear him talk about how devastated and heartbroken he was and how he loved this organization and was there for 18 years and he revered the uniform so much that he never put it on the floor. He would never wash it with other clothes. He would leave the Cardinal logo always facing up because that's how much he he respected the laundry. He thought he was going to die in that uniform. Yeah. For you to make this move and remove someone who was so ingrained in the cardinal way, which is something that this organization takes great pride in, for you to make that move to go in on this other philosophy, I hope you're right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Joe Vitale will join us to talk about uh, why we eat fish on Fridays during Lent. That's next <laughs> on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by The Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. are at Calgary tonight, or tomorrow night. They're at Edmonton tonight. Joe Vitale with us on 101 ESPN, as he is every Friday on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, Joey. How are you doing? Randy and Michelle, doing good. Just cold, man. Just really cold. Edmonton's cold. Yeah, I don't care if people say it. It's always cold here. April, May, June, July, it's cold. This is always cold. I'm cold. Okay, well, we we hope we we can warm you up here. I have two questions for you. First one is this: When you were playing, did Canadian guys call Calgary Calgary? Uh, you know what? You're actually the first person I've ever heard called that. I've always heard the Calgary. No, I've never heard Calgary. I don't think it's a. It is, it's not a very like split two syllable word. It's always just like a, a smooth little transition, like Calgary, it's like boom. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like uh, in Spain, it's like, you know, it's, it's not como esta, it's como estas. Como esta, yeah. So, ke- yeah uh, get it out there, just boom. So Mike Keenan called it Calgary. We knew, we, we have to go to Calgary. So maybe that's why I, just, I got it. The other question I have for you, Joey, is growing up in a Presbyterian family here in St. Louis, during the course of my childhood, I didn't go through the Lenten period avoiding meats and having only fish on Friday. Now, my wife is Catholic. My kids went to Catholic school. So I know that we don't eat meat. We only eat fish on Fridays during Lent. But I want to know why. Why is it fish on Fridays during Lent? Oh, man. You stunned me. You stunned me <laughs> I here. did. <laughs> you did. I, I got to admit, I, I, I should know this. I should know this, and I just don't. I, I just don't. You know, it's like. It's like when you're a good Catholic kid, like I was growing up, still am. You just, you just do whatever your parents say to do. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like I, I come from a household, Randy, where 
Where if you ask my dad why we're going to mass on Sunday, you got him back of the hand to the head. You know what I mean? It's just like, okay, got it, got it. We're just doing it. We're just doing this thing. Yeah. And the thing is, if you were to ask my dad, he didn't do it because he was a bad guy. He did it because when he asked his dad, he got a backhand to the head as well. So it was just kind of a progression. Um, you know what? I have some homework. I do have some homework to do. I will I will get you an answer by the end of the day. Let's put it that way. I think Michelle may have already done it. Yeah, Joe, um, I'm with you. You don't ask your Italian father why. You just go ahead and comply. So I had to Google it as well. But uh, according to what I Googled, most Christians are required to abstain from meat and eat fish on Fridays because it's tradition. Fish was referred to as the food of the poor or local people. And on the death day of Jesus, which was obviously Good Friday, Christians stay away from luxurious foods. So they eat the food that was eaten by poor people in medieval times, oh, therefore good. fish. Ah, very good. Well, you know what? That actually makes complete sense. Um, a, a, certainly a, a food of the peasants back in the day. Of course, one of Jesus' greatest miracles was when he turned, you know, the loaves of bread and the fish into, into an abundance so thousands could eat. And that's exactly, you know, what, what they were eating. Um, so that, that, that kind of gives, uh, gives me some really nice insight there, uh, Michelle. I appreciate that. The bread, the bread used to be something, too, in the old days. Along with the fish, like we talk about the food of the peasants, um, in the old days, like you always see these brick ovens now. Like everyone's got these brick ovens where they used to bake bread. And that's how they used to bake bread um, in the day. And this is what's cool about bread. You know, whenever, whenever you get a loaf of bread, it's something about the, the community. Like it brings people together, like warm bread. We kind of get that warm feeling. And it kind of comes from this, I'm not even going to call it a tradition because it, it actually is a fact. But back in the old, old days, they didn't have the money to build these like, not everyone had an oven. Like, you're in your house, Michelle and Randy, you guys got your ovens. If you want to make a, a loaf of sourdough bread, you just put it at the 500, you pop it in the oven, you put it in you got bread. But they, this was a poor, poor culture um, that was eating fish and was eating bread. So what these towns did, uh, since they couldn't each afford their own ovens, they would make a town oven, basically at the center of town. And it was this massive, massive brick oven just contained and packed in so much heat, right? And what people would do, was every Sunday, they would make their bread in the morning with their families, each, each little town of people, and they would bring their bread, their, their like raw dough, to the center of town. Hmm. And then the baker of the town, who was like a, 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 like almost like a king back in the day, like if you think of a baker now, they're kind of like a low-class person, and I can say that because I was a baker for a while. But back in the day, they, they were like very respected because they took care of everyone's bread. So everyone would like come to town like after mass in the morning, and they would give their bread to the baker. And you ask the question, well, how do they know which bread was who? And that's kind of where you see the scoring in bread today. Like sometimes you see a loaf of bread has three lines. Sometimes it's in a cross. Sometimes it's in a square. So that was like their signature signature for the bread. So each person would kind of do their own little score, like slicing the bread on top before they gave it to the baker. The baker would throw like hundreds of thousands of um, loaves of bread in there. And then everyone would come together and they would talk, they would share wine and they would go home with their bread. And that bread would last them, uh, would last them all week, believe it or not. It's crazy. You learn something new every single week from Joe Vitale here on 101 ESPN. That's great. I don't know much about fish on Fridays, but I know a lot about bread. By the way, I just saw a gift from Tracy Morgan of 30 Rock, and the explanation there is that it's because the Pope owns Long John Silver's. (laughs) Ah, well, that may be something to do with it there, too.
uh, Joey, last week we asked you about Nadub, uh, Nathan Walker, Randy's nickname for him. He's still, he's still trying to make it happen. But it just seems like, Joe, every time Nathan Walker gets an opportunity, he capitalizes on it. He, he gets that goal for the Blues versus the Canucks earlier this week. We were talking about this with John Kelly on Wednesday. It feels like he's someone that needs more ice time. Do you think the Blues will be looking for ways to get Nathan Walker involved more consistently? Uh, you know, not really, actually, Michelle. Uh, I actually think that they, they, they like right where he's at. You know, I think they, they, they want him to be a fourth-line guy. They want him to do what he's doing, and they certainly love uh, the production aspect. Uh, the reason I say no is because, you know, Nathan plays with such high energy. You know, he plays with such, such vigor uh, in his stride and, and just the vitality that he has with the way he plays. And I th- if you give a player like that more ice time, uh, for Craig Berube, you worry about is that going to kind of trail off a little bit? Like, are you going to lose a little bit of that zip? You know, he talked about Logan Brown going back a few weeks ago. We talked about, you know, Logan he was back in the lineup and what he's looking for. And he said, listen, when he came here, he was full of energy. He was excited, new opportunity, played great, signed an extension. He said, you know, his game slid off a little bit after that. And that's what happens to all, all, all players. And he even admitted that. So it's not a thing on Logan. It just kind of happens with players. So I think Craig Berube is very observant. And he understands that you have to watch for those things. Like, yes, you have a player going good right now, but you have to use them in the right way. You know what I mean? It, it, it's no different than if, uh, let's say, Robert Bortuzzo would have a good game and he gets a goal and an assist and he gets a bunch of hits. You're not going to put him on your, on your top pair because that's not where he, he fills his best role for the team. You want to keep him in a, in a spot where he's comfortable with. So, yes, Nathan has been produ- producing. He's probably been um, – the best producing player, I would say, that's been called up this year. Um, we look at the games he's played. He scored six goals. He had a game winner the other night in Vancouver. But I think that Craig will be very satisfied with where he's at. He's loving this kind of new structured uh, identity, I guess you could call it, the sports line with Brown and McCackran about them guys playing with speed and physicality. And the fact that they're producing um, here and there is, is definitely uh, a, a big plus uh, for, for Craig Bruby. Hey, Joe, even though the Oilers don't have as good a record as the Blues and they're in third in the Pacific Division, I think aside from Colorado, when the Blues play the Oilers, that's the team that scares me the most because of uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl. Is my fear of the Oilers misplaced? Yes. Uh, I don't know what kind of phobia we should label it. I know there's a lot of crazy phobia. Xenophobia. <laughs> what's xenophobia? Is that the, what's that fear of uh, being alone? Is that right? I'm not sure. I'm Googling it. Xenophobia. I know arachnophobia. Xenophobia is a fear of other cultures. Yes, the fear of other fear cultures. cultures. Okay, so arachnophobia is fear of spiders. So what name, since you're the name, the Nadub guy, Randy, what name can we give you fear of the Edmonton Oilers? I'm going to have you guys think about that one. While I while I ease your fears okay. of the Edmonton Oilers, how does that sound? Good. No, I don't think that I don't think that you should be afraid of this team. I think that the Blues players are not afraid of this team. I think that any team that plays the Edmonton Oilers, quite frankly, is not really afraid of this team. I think they look at like a two-headed monster between Drysdale and David, and they know that if they can key in on those two guys and you can shut them down, they're going to be in a good spot. And the, the biggest way to shut them down is to do what the Blues did the other night in Vancouver. And that's just the penalty box. I mean, they only took one penalty in the entire game. They actually got a shorthand goal for Robert Thomas on it. But that's the kind of style you have to play if you want to give yourself life against the Edmonton Oilers. You do not want to give Dreisaitl and McDavid any more time than they need, putting them out there in a 5-on-4 situation. The Blues have played them very tough over the last few years. Uh, Colton Pareko expects big minutes from him and Justin Falk here tonight on the road. 
getting the matchups against those two guys um, because that's that at the end of the day is what you got to do to shut down. What's interesting about, you know, Connor and Leon is, yes, they'll get their points. I mean, listen, Connor McDavid just got 100 points. His first one to pass 100-point threshold this year. Um, no surprise, his fifth time he's done in his career. But he does get a boatload of points. The same with Leon Dreisaitl. But they're also hazards in their own zone, too. I mean, and they're, they're a defensive liability at times. I was talking to Steve out about this the other night, actually. I think Leon Dreisaitl in a big win against, or actually a big loss against the Calgary Flames. They had losing that game like 8-6 to six or something. Uh, he, had, he had a hat-trick. They had Dreisaitl had a hat-trick, but he was still like a minus three on the game. I mean, what is that going to show you? So as much as they are good at scoring points, they are also uh, equally as bad in their own zone. So until they kind of figure that out, uh, this team, I think, is just going to be destined for either missing the playoffs or, miss, or getting bounced there in the first round. Joe, Randy is a classic oleophobe. Oleophobic refers to the physical property of a molecule that is repelled from oil. Oleophob, yes. You're like, you're like vinegar that doesn't want to repel with uh, or, or, or uh, yes, emulsify. Yeah. Emulsify with oil. You're like, you're like vinegar, Randy. No, there's another one, eliophobia, which is the fear of oil or grease. So we can go with either of those. I want to give you guys one more thing, Joe, before we let you go, because I did a trivia night for Fathers and Family Support Center last Saturday, and I didn't know this. There is a phobia for the fear of losing your phone, and it's called nomophobia, like Hideo Nomo. Nomophobia is the fear of losing your phone. Wow. Nomophobia. It kind of reminds me of that one uh, one baseball player. What was the baseball player account? H- Hideo Nomo. Hideo Nomo. Okay, that's what I, I I think I have a baseball card of his. Nomophobia. Yeah, that's that's something I I, I, I kind of wish I would lose more often. Is my phone, quite frankly. But um, that 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 is a massive one. You know, that's that's something where you look around. Uh, I I I I remember I was in a locker room a couple weeks ago, and and the, and the locker room has changed so much. I played uh, a game to get the U, U16 uh, AAA group of guys going for the Nationals. It was a men, men's group versus their team. And it was a mix of older guys and younger players in the locker room. And it was an intermission, so we'd all get back to the locker room. And then me and some of the older guys, um, Jim Giantson was there. Uh, Joe McAlenny's son, Adam, was there. So some, some older guys were there, kind of mixed Andy Strickland played. And we all get, we all get to the locker room. And we, we, we get, between intermissions, we crack, we crack a beer open. And we started drinking beer like laughing and joking and then you look at the other side of the room where all the kids are at and all these kids have their cell phones and they're checking like tiktok and instagram and then no one's talking to each other like we're, yeah. we're it was kind of amazing i think uh, i think the nomophobia should we should get rid of that phobia and maybe um maybe we shouldn't wear so much cell phones agree with you 100 percent. joey we'll be tuned in tonight thanks so much for the time we appreciate it and stay warm Thank you, too. You guys have a great weekend. See you later. Joe Vitale with us on 101 ESPN. So we, ner- we learned about nomophobia. We learned about why Catholics eat fish mm-hmm. on Fridays. We learned about baking bread back in the day and why they have the marks on bread. We learned about Nathan Walker's role with the blues. I mean, Joey is just, his nickname should be Britannica because he's an encyclopedia. He's unbelievable. He's great. Coming up, we've got a, and I guess because a- April starts with a, and April Fool's edition of the fight i'm worried on 101 espn we're right back to the character and smallman podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn welcome to the fight on character and smallman in the red corner average joe listener and in the blue corner Welcome, Randy 
It is 8.38 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's the 8.30 segment, which means it's time for the fight. The Friday edition of the fight, the April 1st edition of the fight. And our lucky listener to take on Randy Carricker is Eric, who's joining us now on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Eric. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Oh, Eric, you cut out there. We still have you? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Uh, yep, we got you. We got you loud and clear. You doing good? I'm doing wonderful. It's Friday and heading home from work, so all is good. Heading home from work, so you work overnight? Uh, I'm a physician, so, and I do shift work in a hospital, so basically 24 hours at a time. Wow. Well, thank you for everything you do, Eric. We appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Question number one for you, Eric, and good luck. In his infamous tampering incident in 1987, what item did Joe Necro throw to the ground, failing to hide from the umpires? Was it a nail file, pine tar, or stickum? It was a nail file. On this day in 1970, Bud Selig saved the future Milwaukee Brewers from bankruptcy, moving the team from this city after the purchase. Was that Denver, Seattle, or Miami? I believe it was Seattle. Question number three for you, Eric. Following the Blues signing of RFA Brennan Shanahan, an arbitrator ruled the Blues would have to send Scott Stevens to which team? Was it the Calgary Flames, the Minnesota North Stars, or the New Jersey Devils? The Devils. And Dennis Green's famous They Are Who We Thought They Were press conference for the Cardinals. What team did they lose to earlier that night? Was it the New Orleans Saints, the Indianapolis Colts, or the Chicago Bears? Can you repeat the question one more time, please? In Dennis Green's famous They Are Who We Thought They Were presser for the Cardinals, what team did they lose to earlier that night? Was it the New Orleans Saints, the Indianapolis Colts, or the Chicago Bears? I'm going to go with the Chicago Bears. Checking our score for a man, Eric, waving in Randy. Randy's coming in here. Eric, how do you feel? You feel good about your performance? Um, 50-50. Hmm. You did better than that, my friend. Just saying, you did better than that. Randy, say good morning to Eric. Eric, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Absolutely. Are you ready, sir? Ready. Question number one for Megamind. In his infamous tampering incident in 1987, what item did Joe Negro throw to the ground failing to hide from umpires? It was a uh, a nail file. All right. On this day in 1970, Bud Selig saved the future Milwaukee Brewers from bankruptcy, moving the team from this city after his purchase. I believe that would have been Seattle. Randy, following the Blues signing of RFA Brennan Shanahan, an arbitrator ruled the Blues would have to send Scott Stevens to which team? The That was Judge Houston, and he sent Scott Stevens to the Devils to purgatory. And in Dennis Green's famous They Are Who We Thought They Were press conference for the Cardinals, what team did they lose to earlier that night? Uh, They lost to the Chicago Bears. All right. We've got some drama on April 1st, some drama on a Friday. Eric and Randy both got all four correct. Hmm, We're working with two jacks here. How rare is that? That one person gets all four correct. Well, first of all, how rare is that both of you guys got all four correct? But usually if someone gets all four correct, they are the winner. Not today. Not today today. Alright, Eric, here is how this is going to work, the tiebreaker round. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy is going to write down his answer on his office, Max 
legal pad over there. Does Office Max still exist, do you think? I was just wondering that, and I have no idea. Yes, yeah, it uh, They merged with Office, Office Depot? Depot. Which one's still like, yeah, which I think Office like the, Depot is the one that's That's survived. the one that still has, like, they're like signage, okay. Yeah. I knew one of them was right. Um, anyway, after Randy writes his answer down, Eric, we're going to give you about 10 seconds to give us your answer. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. And I'm kind of concerned that you guys mo- might both get the tiebreaker correct, mm-hmm. which means we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Okay. Eric, are you ready for the tiebreaker question? I am ready. Randy, are you ready for the tiebreaker question? Uh, my pen is working, so yes, I am. Okay. Here it is, gentlemen. The tiebreaker question. After you both got a jack, which seems very unfair that we're in the tiebreaker round, but here we go. How many total gold gloves did Scott Rowland win during his career? How many total gold gloves did Scott Rowland win during his career? Eric, Randy? Randy's writing his down. Eric, whenever mm-hmm. you're ready. Seven. Eric says... Se- <laughs> uh, okay. Eric says seven. Randy says... Nine. Matt, do we have another question in the hopper? Was it eight? Uh, Yes. Yeah, it is. Um. The answer is eight, boys. So you're both one away. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The the, the next tiebreaker question will be, uh, UNC has the most Final Four appearances of any team, any um, school Mm -hmm. in uh, college basketball. How many Final Four appearances does UNC have? Okay. How many final four appearances does UNC have? Yep. Tiebreaker question number Hold two. On. Matt, can you write down the answer for me, here, please? Hold okay. on. Got it. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, Randy is furiously scribbling. Eric, whenever you're ready. Okay. I have Randy's answer. Sorry, Eric. I had your I'll go ahead and say your answer. 17. 1-7. One, 1-7 seven. One, seven from Eric. Randy. I said 16. Randy says 16. What a battle. We had two jacks. We had an equal tiebreaker, which led us to an on-the-fly tiebreaker question. Eric says 17. Randy says 16. A true showcase showdown on a Friday. Who was closer to the pin? One of you was. Was it Randy or Eric? Matt. The winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair, home of the non-commission-based sales force and hassle-free warranty. The sweet tunes of Laura Branigan welcome in our new champion, which is Eric. Congratulations, <laughs> congratulations, Eric. You were closer to the pin on that one, which means you're a champion today. What was the number? 21. What was it? Oh, because I, I, I had written down 24 and then I changed. Oh, Randy. Yikes. You would have <laughs> oh, had man. it. You would have had it. It was 21. Okay, let's run run through this. So in 1987, the, fam- the infamous tampering incident with Joe Negro, he threw a nail file to the ground, failing to hide it from umpires. On this day in 1970, Bud Selig saved the future Milwaukee Brewers from bankruptcy, moving the team from Seattle in the process. The Seattle Pilots, it mm-hmm. was. Brendan Shanahan, uh, the Blues signed him. An arbitrator ruled that they have to send Scott Stevens to the New Jersey Devils. And in Dennis Green's famous, they are who they thought. Wait, wait, hold on. They are who 
we thought they were, as I run Burgundy, this. Uh, they are who we thought they were, presser for the Cardinals. The team that they lost to earlier that night was, in fact, the Chicago Bears. So the total, which took us to the tiebreaker round, the total gold gloves that Scott Rowland won during his career was eight. Randy guessed nine, Eric guessed seven. It was a push for my two guys here, which led us to tiebreaker question number two, which was how many Final Four appearances does UNC have? Eric guessed 17, Randy Andy guessed 16. Eric was closest to the pin with the correct answer being 21. Congratulations, Eric. This means that we will talk to you on Monday. You have a chance to come back and defend your title. Awesome. Hey, I just want to give a shout out to you guys. I was a transplant St. Louis kid from the West Coast, went back there, uh, just relocated back about 16 months ago. Their sports radio horrible compared to you guys out there you guys are i I mean thank goodness i was able to stream it most times but you guys are just i are just one of what makes st louis so wonderful so thank you i appreciate it that's very nice of you to say thank you that means a lot thanks eric you're the best we appreciate that yep monday morning talk to you then eric eric with us on 101 espn next up we're going to talk some ball with polo asensio the cardinal's spanish language play-by-play man is next on 101 espn we're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And as the Cardinals get ready to open up their 2022 season, Next week at the ballpark, we get a chance to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Polo Sencio, the Cardinals' Spanish language play-by-play man, joining us on Carriker and Smallman. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Buenos días, Randy. Buenos días, Michelle. Contento, feliz, aquí en la Florida, en Jupiter. Los Cardenales están listos. Yo estoy listo. Ustedes están listos. I know. One percent of your audience got that, but you know what? The 99 percent that didn't. Get to it. Google it. Rosetta Stone. Watch the novelas on uh, Univision or whatever. Come on, get to it, guys. How you doing? Uh, buenos dias, Polo. No habla español. If you could translate for us, please, that would be great. <laughs> hey, you, you, you can hear my voice, I think. I'm excited. Everybody's excited. The Cardinals are back in camp, and the Cardinals are almost flying back home next Tuesday after their game. And, and let's go. Let's go. I mean, what can I tell you? Oh, I can tell you a lot of things that <laughs> others have not. But um, but it, it's exciting, guys. It, it, it is exciting. Uh, this team is loose. From the day I got here last week, I noticed a looseness, a, a, a little bit of a – it's business, right? It's business. But at the same time, it's, it's there's a little relief. It's like okay, we we did it last year. We came back in September. We got to the playoffs. We you know we all know what happened. Now let's continue that. Let's let's build with that with a new manager, a new new leadership in the clubhouse, and the return later in the week of Albert Pujols. I mean, it, it certainly does not get better than this for Cardinal Nation right now. Right now, this is what we have. This is what it is. Let's enjoy it. And next Tuesday, if you don't have a ticket, buy it now. And if you have a ticket, get there early. 
Absolutely, Polo. It's going to be packed downtown. Everything you just described about the Cardinals team as a whole, the looseness, the relief, I'm seeing all that individually in Paul DeYoung. He seems to have a weight lifted off his shoulders. He just seems to be trusting himself more, and we're seeing that bear out from a production standpoint. But what are you seeing this spring from Paul DeYoung? You said it. You know, first of all, the guy, he lost. And we all, you know, we all hear it, Randy. I mean, we've been around, Randy and I, and I know Michelle, you you getting there. One day you're going to say, oh, yeah, this is my 20th uh, uh, spring break. or whatever. I'm, in, I'm on my 15th, you know, from, from Dodgers and now here at Cardinals. And a lot of the guys, they show up the best shape of their lives, right? Well, Paul DeYoung lost a little bit of the upper body. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how or, or why he did it, but you can tell the way he's swinging the bat. You know, the, the glove has never been a problem. He's always been a good defense. Uh, defensive second base, uh, shortstop. I'm, I'm sorry, but the bat. You know, he started. He was good. He was really, really good. Everybody's like, "Oh my God, this is the guy. This is the guy." Then the last couple of years, one thing or the other. You know, let's not forget, he got injured. COVID got him. You know, COVID got a lot of people, but some people, even myself, sometimes I forget. You know, I got I got COVID during during December, like everybody else in America, and sometimes I mean I forget my my own name. But anyway, um, it's not about me, but. <laughs> Of young, he's looking good. He's looking loose. He's looking lean. He's looking faster when he swings. You know, I, I believe he's he has like ten hits now and like twenty at bats, a, a few home runs, a bunch of RBIs, and that's what you want to see from a guy who is trying to regain his position as the no doubter shortstop. Because last year we all know what happened. He struggled, and Mundo Sosa came in and did a fantastic job. Now it's a new year. It's a new season. And it's a new Paul DeYoung, and I like this guy. I, I like him personally, and I like him as a player. I like him so much that I picked him up yesterday on my fantasy team. Oh, That's very nice. Like. Wow. Hey, Polo, he can really help out this rotation. The Cardinals up the middle should be really good with Yachty and with DeYoung at short and with Edmund, who won a gold glove, and with Harrison Bader in center. My concern coming into spring training was the starting rotation, and obviously minus Flaherty right now. But I want to know how you feel about Wainwright, Matz, Michaelis, um, and uh, Dakota Hudson right now. I feel good about it. You know, if you're going to have a problem with your rotation, might as well be at the beginning of the season, right? A lot of things can help you get through April, May, June. Once you get to July and August, that's when the problems start for everybody. If you have problems with your rotation in July and August, then you're going to have a very long summer and a very short postseason if you get there. I like what I see. I like the competitions. I was talking to our, our left team, uh, Matthew Libertor. He is ready. He sounds ready. He, the kid is poised. He, he's really young. He, he's, what, like 21, 22? But, but his mentality is one of a veteran. He's been around, let's just say, Wainwright, around Yachty for the last few years. Being around those guys takes you to a new level. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a different thing to be with a veteran battery mate or a veteran uh, a rotation guy or, or, or pitching staff uh, a mate than to be with, with your young boys in the minor leagues or, or young boys in the Dominican Republic playing winter ball. What, did, what he showed me with his words and the way he, he portrays, he, he uh, conducts himself, I like Matthew Libertor. And don't be surprised. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be uh, – he's going to break camp with the team, 
But, you know, he, he, he's having a good one. And, and the guys you said, Dakota Hudson, let's be careful with him. You don't want to rush him. Even though he came back after, after uh, injury and surgery, and he did a good job in September. But he looks good. This rotation is solid, again, to start the season. Hopefully, we have a good start of the season that we don't have to rush things. And we don't have to rush guys like we have done in the past. When there's problems, and then you have to bring this guy and bring another guy and bring another guy. Next thing you know, you have a, a train coming, you know, going from, from St. Louis to Memphis and Springfield. And all of a sudden, you don't even know who's in the roster doing uh, uh, a starting rotation. But th- this group, I like a lot. I really do. Uh, and I know people say, well, what is he going to say? He doesn't like it. No, if I don't like something, I say it. And what I see with this rotation, I like it to start the season. Hopefully they build, they stay healthy, Flaherty comes back, and then when we get to July and August, if, if change needs to be made, hopefully we make those changes. Polo, there's been so much that's happened in a short amount of time. I mean, we, you've had the lockout and a truncated spring training. You've had a Jack Flaherty and Alex Reyes injuries. You've had Albert Pujols return to the Cardinals. And it seems like with all of these massive storylines, what would be a really big storyline in a rookie manager taking over this Cardinals team and Ali Marmol has kind of flown under the radar. But what have you seen so far from Ali Marmol and his rookie campaign in spring training? And what do you expect an Ali Marmol, Marmol Cardinals team to look like? When I, I saw Ali, Ali I, I call him Oliver, right? That's the name, Oliver. And, you know, I'm like, Oli. And I can roll my R's, Michelle, so I don't expect everybody to call him Oliver. But I, <laughs> um, so I, I talked to him, you know, during the last few seasons. And when I saw him today for the first, well, this week for the first time as a manager, you know, we had a nice conversation. And he's the same guy. You know, he is the same guy that walked around Bush, you know, with his bad, with his notebook, whatever, just smiling, looking, talking, and, and, and learning, learning from the guys. And that's, that's the key here. He is learning from the guys, and the guys are learning from him. I'm not saying the other people were not, but what I'm saying is that Ali, Oliver, I think he is the right guy for this job. And he understands. He understands what's at stake. He understands what happened for him to be here. But at the same time, he understands that he cannot change what happened before him, but he can sure change what is in front of him. And he will. He will do a good job. The guys really like him. The guys respect him. And there's a couple guys that told me I didn't know what to expect from him when we stepped into the clubhouse to start uh, spring training. But as soon as he started talking, I see or I saw a manager, a real manager, and not just somebody there that somebody put there because they like him. No, 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 no. We have a real manager. He knows what's at stake. And now with the veterans that he has in the club and the young players coming behind those veterans, we have a good guy. We have a good one. Believe me. I, I, and again, if I, if I didn't think he was the, a good manager, I wouldn't say he's a good manager. i say, you know what? Let's hope he does well. Best of luck to him. Next question. No, 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 no. I see, I call it as I see it, and I see a good manager, and I believe he's going to do a good job. Polo Asensio, looking forward to you and Benji, your seventh season doing Spanish-language radio, all 81 games here in St. Louis. Great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. Anytime, guys. And it's been a long time coming. Next time I'm on, I'm on we're going to talk about tacos de birria. Michelle can explain. <laughs> That's right. I, I, yeah, guys, there's a big group of people behind the Spanish radio. Adam Fertel, uh, Kyle Ding is my man, Benny Boyd and Selena Allen. 
Dan Farrell, everybody of the Cardinals, thank you for their trust in, my, in me and my voice. And like you said, Randy, every home game, La Tremenda, Ocho Ochenta, Polo Asensio, Benji Molina. And like I also said, next time we're going about we're going to talk about tacos de birria with Michelle and Polo. We're yes. going to do it. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Thank Th- you, guys. Have a good one. You too. That is our friend Polo Asensio, Spanish-language broadcaster, the play-by-play man, joining us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle and Randy. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for... You're killing me, Smalls! Brady DK Metcalf, Seattle Seahawks wide receiver, is an absolute beast, right? Mm -hmm. We have seen how fast he is, how strong he is. He's a force to be reckoned with. And the modern athlete, Randy, they take great care of their body. We know that all of these guys are in the gym constantly. They're getting their protein in. If you're Tom Brady, you're working on your pliability. I mean, heck, Tom Brady doesn't even eat nightshades, for crying out loud. Some Some of these guys have vegan diets. Their bodies are their temples, right? Well, DK Metcalf was on with Kevin Garnett on his KG certified podcast and KG was talking with DK, KG and DK about (laughs) his speed and about his body and he asked him about his nutrition. Here's what DK had to say. Talk about how important nutrition is. Nutrition is huge. I'm I'm probably the worst person to ask that. (laughs) Uh, are you eating pa- you eating Popeyes, churches? You from the city too. I know you be eating coon soup. Yeah, that's I'd some be shit. A, I'm a candy type person. Oh, um, what? I eat one meal a day, drink one coffee, and eat like three, four bags of candy. Man, define bags of candy, man. Jelly like beans? A, nah, see, I'm a gummy, gummy, gummy type of guy. So you get your lifesavers. Come on, man. Stop, stop, man. Come on, hold on, hold on, man. Okay, to run through, DK Metcalf, that body, that speed, one coffee, one meal a day, like three or four bags of candy. I'm very impressed. I'm shocked because I, you don't think you get that physique from eating candy, right? Well, you wouldn't think so, Michelle, but think about him. You mentioned he was he's a beast. The first thing I thought of was beast mode, right? That's With right. The Skittles. Marshawn, the Skittles, very good And point, I'm yes. wondering, did they play together in his rookie year? Was that when Marshawn went back? I, I'm not That's sure. That's a good question. Well, yeah, I, he did. They did play together in okay. 2019. So... It kind of makes sense. Yeah, so maybe there was an influence there from Beast Mode to DK Metcalf. Skittles and gummies? That's right. Well, as someone that loves candy, Randy, I love a candy. I also love a gummy candy. I love a sour candy. I'm intrigued. I want to know more about DK Metcalf's diet. What type of candies are we talking here, DK? So you're finna go through a structure, a bag of candy. You about to go through the whole. Okay, let's hear this. Let's hear this. So, all right, I'm just taking you through yesterday. So yesterday I woke up, worked out, worked out again. Came home, showered. I'm hungry. Run to Starbucks, get a quick coffee. That's gonna hold me till like four, five o'clock. This 12. Okay. So it's gonna hold me for like four hours. Dang. Around 4.30, I'll order some candy and a water. So I got, what did I get yesterday? Got the Skittles gummies. Then I got uh, the Lifesaver Creations. They the same size bag, so I just mix them. So it's safe to say we're going to see a DK gummy at some point, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Okay, y'all heard it. Um, Another certified Certified moment. moment. Hey. <laughs> get the gummy, get the candy, get the water, eat that. That's going to hold me to like 8 o'clock where I'm having dinner, 8, 9. And then I eat dinner, go to sleep. That's an everyday thing? That's a That's- Monday through Friday, Monday through Sunday, Monday through Monday? You know, not nah, you eating candy like that, huh? Yeah. I'm a candy eater, yeah. Should we go on the DK Metcalf diet? 
Yeah, it's fine. Michelle, I always perceive Skittles and gummies and things like that as much healthier and better for you and probably lower calories than a big bag of mini Reese's or something like that. Well, it seems to be working out for DK Metcalf. Yeah. I mean, the muscles are popping, the speed is there. I'm more surprised, Randy, that he only eats one meal a day because he talks about working out twice before yeah. he even eats the candy. I would think he'd be starving. I would think so. It's unbelievable that he's able to get up and not eat anything until noon, essentially. Well, he, he drinks coffee at yeah, noon. Yeah, that's right. The coffee and at noon and then 4 or 5 o'clock. I order some candy. Yeah, what, where are we ordering this from? DoorDash? Is someone going to the bodega or wherever to pick up, mm. or the the gas station to pick up candy for you? Schnooks.com slash delivery. There you go. There you go. But he said Lifesavers Creations, which of course I Googled immediately mm-hmm. and nothing popped up, so I tweeted about it at M. Smallman. And I was wondering if he meant Cream Savers, but people came to the rescue and they said they're actually called Lifesavers Collisions. And when I looked at them, it's two different flavors combined together in a Lifesaver. They look great. They're gummies. I, I kind of like the way he's living life right now. I kind of think that I should, over the weekend, buy the candies that he talked about, and we should try them, and we should it's do the idea. DK diet. I mean, Easter's right around the corner. Easter baskets. Get the DK Metcalf candies for your kids. He clearly is not using Alex Guerrero as his trainer. No, but how mad do you think Tom Brady is that he's not even getting to eat nightshades? This is a guy that has had avocado ice cream for the past decade, and DK Metcalf is eating three bags of candy a day and has that physique and that just set of physical skills. But when DK Metcalf gets to be 30, 31, 32 years old, the metabolism will change a little bit. And he's not going to be able to do this anymore. I don't know. Some people are just blessed. Hashtag blessed. Yeah, do it while you can, I guess, right? Yeah, Herschel Walker is that guy. Herschel Walker, we had him in studio a few years ago in the fast lane. And 50 years old and looks like Adonis. It was just unbelievable. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up, the former Angels manager and a guy who told his teammates provided one of the best lines in the history of baseball. Brad Osmus next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One, two, three, four. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Character. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And a guy who knows of and knows Albert Pujols well is Brad Osmus, now the bench coach for the Oakland Athletics, former Angels manager, former Astros catcher and brad joins us now on the brown and crouppen celebrity line on 101 espn brad thanks so much for the time this morning how you doing i'm doing pretty well how you guys doing good so you're with the a's now you were with the angels you were with the astros you're you're hitting all the a's here (laughs) i am top of the alphabet (laughs) hey you had the opportunity of course to manage albert pools a couple of years ago he's back with the cardinals now and one of the reasons that we wanted to get you on is to get your impressions of what he does for a team what he does for a group of young players well he's the ultimate pro really I've, i've known albert for for decades now from playing against each other uh when he came up with the cardinals and i was with houston and then uh of course being in anaheim he's and he's just a pro he's got a lot of experience he's a very smart baseball player he was actually a very smart baseball player even as a young major leaguer um and it looked like especially once he got to the dodgers kind of embraced his role as the mentor part-time player and i think that's what he'll continue to do for the for uh st louis 
Brad, you were there for Albert Pujols' first game back in St. Louis. It was quite the scene at Bush Stadium. Take us back to that moment. There's there's a special connection between Cardinals fans and Albert, but what was it like for you to see him get that reception when he returned to St. Louis? Well, there's no question there's a special connection. I think that connection goes both ways, too. It's not just the fans uh, adoring Albert. Albert adores the fans of St. Louis. Uh, and it was uh, that whole series was special. Um, you know, Yachty giving every time Albert came up, basically – <laughs> or Yachty gave uh, the fans a chance to cheer him, and uh, then Albert hit a home run that series, and uh, he uh, he really enjoyed it, and uh, I actually really enjoyed it as a manager because I know the history between the St. Louis Cardinal fans and, and Albert. At that time, Brad, Albert was clearly involved with the Angels, and he was locked into what he was doing, but did you ever have a conversation with him after that about maybe returning to St. Louis or what that moment meant to him? Uh, I talked to him about going there as an angel. I'd never really talked to Albert about returning as a player uh, in a St. Louis Cardinal uniform. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't something I wanted to discuss at the time <laughs> when he was with the Angels. Sure. <laughs> Former Major League catcher and manager, and now the bench coach for the A's, Brad Awesome, is joining us on 101 ESPN. And Brad, you came up in 1993, and you were a young player with those Padres teams under Bruce Bochy. And you know the difference now better than anybody between a young player then and a young player now. How does a mentor-type player, even somebody as prolific as Albert Pujols, how does he deal with young players? How how are young players different, and will they approach a guy like that these days? Well, you know, young players now, probably from a skill level, are much more advanced than they were in the mid-'90s, just because there's all these training techniques and training facilities and travel teams and, you know, uh, perfect game, all these things that the physical talents of baseball players that are drafted and eventually get to the big leagues is, is much better than it was 15, 20 years ago, um, let alone 30 years ago. But the one thing that you can't really teach at uh, a baseball facility uh, or even really, uh, on a travel team is the experience of playing baseball at the major league level. Uh, it, it, it comes with a lot of things that are, uh, that must be experienced. They can't be taught. Um, and only someone that has gone through it, which Albert has, um, can relay what that feels like, what the message is and how to handle it. And, uh, you know, Albert's experienced it on all levels from, from being a, a star rookie to being a World Series champion uh, to be an, a, an aging veteran. Um, and there's parts of the game, uh, base running stands out, that is very difficult to train for. You have to really experience it or have someone talk to you about it and speed up that learning curve. And I think that's exactly where Albert will be valuable to young players. Whether young players come to him or not, I think Albert will offer it for them. Brad, there's a laundry list of amazing moments that we've seen Albert Pujols have during his career, a three-home run game in the World Series. But I think for so many people, the one that will always stand out is that monster home run off of Brad Lidge and uh, the ninth in Game 5 of the 2005 NLDS. You were obviously a part of that game and had the iconic line on the flight back when you got on the speakerphone and said, if you look out the left side of the plane, you'll see Albert's home run. <laughs> it is orbiting the Earth, which, which kind of broke the ice. But take us through what that moment was like from your vantage point, because I don't know if I've ever seen seen the air get sucked out of a stadium the way I saw Albert's home run do that day? Oh, there's no question it sucked the air out of the stadium. The way I described it is 
you know, the roof was closed in Houston and the fans were going nuts uh, on their feet, screaming. I, I had to yell to talk to the umpire. That's how loud it was. And then Albert hit the home run. And, you know, once it bounced off the glass, I could hear people in the center field restaurant talking to each other. I mean, it went from, it went from so loud I couldn't talk to the person next to me to so quiet I could hear someone 100 yards away. And it's amazing. And here in St. Louis, when we talk about Albert's home runs, and Michelle brought up the three in the World Series and all the walk-offs and all the big home runs, he hit 445 home runs in the regular season here, and that's one of the top three Albert home runs, even in a losing series. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, fortunately for us, we came back and won when we got to St. Louis, but uh, I think it's the moment and just the 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 sheer strength that was involved in hitting the ball, you know, it had to be, it would have landed 500 feet away from where he was standing. And it was almost a line drive as it, it hit the back there. And it, you know, and of course it, it put them in front and then won them the game uh, in a a huge situation in the NLCS. So uh, it was impressive. And I think part of what you're talking about, sucking the air out of the stadium made it more impressive because he, he literally silenced 40,000 people. And we talked about the, the flight was there a method to your madness? Did you want to break some tension when you grabbed the the air the airplane microphone there? You know it, what it was. We, we were getting on the bus and people were down. You could tell there was just this defeatist feeling uh, on the bus. So when I was getting on the plane, I actually went to the pilot and said, "Hey, when you get to your cruising altitude, can you say this?" And the pilot didn't want to do it. He was afraid someone would be upset. And I said, don't worry about it. I'll take the heat. You got to do it. So I, I didn't get on the, in the mic. The pilot actually oh, did wow. it. And Brad Lidge was sitting about three rows in front of me uh, on the aisle when he said it. And he looked back, like, like trying to act angry. And then he saw me smiling and kind of <laughs> let, let the tension out of the plane a little. Oh, I can understand why the pilot might not want to make that joke. <laughs> no, he, he did, though. It worked, it worked well. That's good. Well, I want to go back, Brad, to us talking about Albert Pujols as a mentor, as a mentor. Mike Trout has spoken about uh, the fact that Albert Pujols has really helped him and guided him along in his career. They seem to have a really special relationship. Can you share with us a little bit about how Albert Pujols helped mentor Mike Trout? Well, Trouty, Trouty has a lot of respect for what Albert has done in his career, and I think Albert has gone about his business the right way. I think that's probably the biggest message that got relayed uh, from from Albert to Trouty is, uh, you know, because they've had they have similar career patterns. They're both very good, very young. Um, they're both on Hall of Fame tracks. Um, but I think the one the one message that Albert has sent clearly was you you go about your business the right way. You be a professional and you try to help the team win. And that's exactly how Trouty goes about his business now. Hey, Brad, one more thing from me, and it's in regards to your club this year because, obviously, you've made some trades. You've gotten into coaching and managing, and the the essence of coaching and managing is teaching. I, I would think that when you get back to the essence of coaching and managing, it's kind of fun. Even though the expectations aren't extraordinary, you get to see young guys get better every day. It's fun. You know, the, the process of developing players, is helping players develop is fun. Uh, the competition during the course of the game is fun, but make no mistake, we want to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the goal in sports is to win games. And so uh, regardless of what's happened uh, or what trades are made, what signings have been made or haven't been made, uh, the goal is to win the game. So when you step on the field on a daily basis, that's 
that's the aim. And then last thing for me, Brad, we were having this conversation on the show today, and I'd love to get your take on it. With the analytics movement, a lot of front offices are working in lockstep with managers these days. And you're, you're an old school baseball guy, and the role that managers used to play is very different than what we see today. So when you have the title of manager, how do you effectively collaborate with a modern front office? Well, you just have to be able to digest and kind of disseminate the information that's there. I think uh, managers are still unique from front offices for the most part in the sense that they have experience being on the dirt, being on the grass, playing in a game, understanding the emotions that can't necessarily be calculated. Uh, But you have to be able to understand what the numbers mean and really how to put them into baseball lingo. You know, just take bits of information and make it usable for baseball players who aren't necessarily data analysts. So you you have to be um, fluent in baseball and fluent in, in data. Brad, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for your insight on Albert and what he'll bring to the 2022 Cardinals. We appreciate it, and have a good year with the A's. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That is the former Astros catcher, former Angels and Tigers manager, Brad Osmus. And by the way, a, tar- a Dartmouth grad, smart guy, joining us on 101 ESPN. Very smart. And I loved what he said there at the end. It's, it's all about being able to take that information and communicate it effectively to your players, which is what we've heard John Mozeliak talk about. We need to have the right voices to get this information across to the players. But and it is a different role for modern managers. It really is. It, it is. And as he said, most of these players aren't analytics guys, and most of these players didn't go to an Ivy League school like him. Sure. So you need to pick and choose what information will best benefit a player. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, the Blues in Edmonton tonight, and we're going to hear from David Perron, the Blues winger, who joins us every week here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He gets the job done on the ice every night. Perron, he tucked it in like you put the corner of his seat underneath your mattress in the morning. Blues forward David Perron, and he joins Character and Smallman right now. Perron, he scores! On 101 ESPN. Driven by Pure Performance, the only stop for all your aftermarket vehicle needs. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy, and it's time for our weekly visit with Blues forward David Perron, who joins us from Edmonton, where the Blues are getting ready to take on the Oilers. David, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So doing well. When you guys were out in California, we asked you about that trip. What do you think of the Western Canada trip, the Vancouver-Edmonton-Calgary trip? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a different vibe for sure. Uh, but I think, um, obviously, most, a lot of us are Canadian, and we do enjoy uh, kind of getting to, to see the Canadian market as well. Just the, the passion some of these fans have here uh, is out of control, and it's, uh, it's it makes for a good atmosphere to play in. Most of the buildings are rocking every night, so... Um, it's it's a lot of fun for sure. That's awesome, David. Well, we haven't spoken to you since the trade deadline. We actually spoke to you that Monday before the deadline happened. It seems like it's been forever. But uh, we've heard yeah. some reports of what it was like learning of Oscar Sunquist getting traded. But take us back to that moment, what it was like when you found out and saying bye to Sonny on the plane. Yeah. Yeah, it was a tough, tough moment for sure. Uh, we, uh, like you said, we were just sitting on the plane kind of waiting to, to take off and we knew it was a possibility, obviously, taken off at that time, uh, but uh, you could feel something was coming up when uh, 
Uh, we were supposed to take off, I think, at 1 p.m., and uh, it was 1.15. We were still on the ground. And sure enough, a couple guys got a text that uh, Nick Letty was joining us, and uh, maybe like three, five minutes later, you um, saw Sonny and, and Wally get up in the back of the plane, kind of starting hugging guys, um, shaking hands, uh, saying their goodbyes, things like that. So a uh, tough moment for sure. Um, at the same time, we we're all professional and we know it can happen. It's a fresh start for Wally that he wanted to play more minutes. He wanted to play on a more regular basis. He's going to have the chance to do that. I think Sonny has a chance to, to elevate himself uh, moving forward, uh, maybe on a third line, maybe on the, on a role that uh, is a little bit more offensive and he, he wasn't really getting that uh, here. And at the same time, we get a, a proven defenseman and Nick Luddy has been uh, solid for us so far in five, six games that he's been here and we're excited to see where this goes. Yeah, you mentioned Nick Letty and uh, how he's fitting in. I want to talk more about that. He gets his first goal as a Blue last night. What has he brought to this team? Yeah, just uh, a lot of patience, a lot of poise. I think he's obviously what's tough is the first game that he plays, we lo- we lose uh, Tori Krug uh, as well. Um, and we don't know when he's back, but uh, we're looking forward to, to kind of have our whole uh, decor together. Um, I, I also thought uh, Rosen coming up, he's got a lot of poise with the puck as well. We have some big physical defensemen, so when when you have those guys that can move the puck, uh, a lot of times they'll pair um, a, a bigger uh, defensive-minded uh, guy with uh, with a guy that can move the puck skate well. And it seems like that's kind of our makeup, our decor right now. And it's good. David Braun joining us from Edmonton, where the Blues play the Oilers tonight. And David, we know that the Blues have a system. You've moved at midseason from one system to another. Can you describe the difficulty, if there is any, in adjusting to a new system on the fly? Uh, well, yeah, it, it certainly uh, isn't the easiest thing in the world, but I think it's for for most part uh, uh, in the NHL, there's a lot of teams that play very similarly. I also think there's little nuances that will take time for, for let's say, a guy like Led to, to get on our breakouts, uh, the way we want to forecheck as a five-man unit. and uh, I mean, teams... As a as a league, I'm sure are starting to do that more and more. But it's crucial for us to have success at our forecheck. We need our defensemen up on the play, pinching down uh, at the right time with the right uh, intention and everything. And uh, I mean, he's done a good job so far. It's been pretty seamless, and uh, we want to keep adding to that. David, one thing that we keep talking about with in regards to your team is the opposition scoring first. Why does that seem to happen? Is that one of those hockey things that just kind of happens, or do you think that's something that your team can combat? Well, yeah, well, we talked about it uh, yesterday before the game, trying to win the first five minutes. I, I didn't think we did that. I, I thought they, did, they, they they had a great start. They pushed early on, uh, by, but I thought we did a good job to stay with it. Um, and for most of the game after that, I felt like we carried the play. Uh, they had a push at the end again. Um, but uh, it was a solid game by us. And, uh, yeah, like I think it's a mentality that we have to have to be ready uh, from the get-go, from the start of of, of each game, and uh, getting a, the first goal, if you look at the record throughout the league, it's, it's a big thing for sure. David, one of the things that Chief talks about is the confidence level of the team, and I've always thought that with your group, whether it was three years ago or whether it was last year or now, that you have a group of players where if you set the tempo that you're generally going to come out on top. Is confidence a big part of that? And if so, how hard is it to get confidence back when things aren't going that your way? Yeah, well, it's it's just like anything else. I've said it many times, but you have to, to enjoy finding the way out of it. 
And you're right, there's many guys on this team that have done it uh, several times in their career. Uh, even as uh, before becoming a pro, we, we all uh, learn to overcome uh, some stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is what it is. I think definitely the leadership group is, is really strong. And what I liked about last night, for example, is uh, a guy like Torp gets moved off the third line. And, I mean, it was seamless. Like, no one uh, – it felt at times like all, all four lines were going. We were kind of changing at the right time, doing all the little details that teams that win um, on a nightly basis do. And uh, it was a great feeling to have again. David, earlier this week, we saw Vladimir Tarasenko get his 500th point as a blue, the only the fifth blue in history to ever accomplish that. He seems to be really playing well, enjoying himself. It was great to see him after the game at Enterprise Center soaking in that moment. Is he playing as well right now as you've ever seen him play? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's awesome for him to, to see the bounce back season that he's had. Obviously, uh, there's uh, many, many guys on the team that are, are having solid seasons. And I think that's part of it, too. It's probably tough on uh, other teams to see um, who's, who's going to match up against who. I also think Tomer's taken another level in his game, as, as, we've, as we've seen in, in weeks and months. Uh, even on the defensive side of things, he's, uh, let's say, like playing the last two games against Vancouver, he's played against their, one of their top line every night, and O'Reilly's going to get uh, the other line. So it's really tough on teams to... When you have uh, two lines that can play against anybody, and I think Vlad is a huge part of that as well. David, for different reasons, you met, missed the better part of a season earlier in your career. You were dealing with a concussion, Vladdy, obviously with a shoulder. But just in terms of coming back and not playing for a season, did it take some time to get back into that normal groove of being a, a hockey player and playing every other day? Yeah, I don't know, for, for sure. You have to have that confidence. You have to have that that swagger that you're you're the guy that can score, that can make those little plays, that will make a difference for your team to win. Um, I, I think getting a guy like Busnevich uh, is a good thing for Vladi. I think even Tor Orchenko, uh, they're they're bonding pretty good uh, as a group of Russian guys. They're awesome. They're they're funny to be around. They bring a lot of energy to our room, and uh, we we need honestly we need to to keep keep that up because that's the way that we're gonna have success. I thought the uh, two games ago. Uh, Bucci and, and Vlade were really physical. They initiated contact, and uh, that's what we need. We need every, every guy to be physical every night. David, one of the questions that we've asked the listeners this week and we've asked the people that broadcast the games is, if you guys have a good trip here after winning against Vancouver here in St. Louis the other night, if you go three games in a row, do you feel pretty good about yourself, the, the, the team? How would you feel if you guys can handle Edmonton, handle Calgary, and then come home after that? How do you think you'll feel about your team? Yeah, well, there's been frustration for sure, and I think a lot of things have been said, and it's kind of like a time where we're like, enough is enough, and we got to hold each other accountable. We have to be a little hard on each other probably at times, uh, but it, it is a, a good feeling that we got going. It feels like we're trending that stuff in the right direction. We're we're getting good vibes, good playing from everybody right now, and I'm, I'm not saying that we're fully back after three, four games. I, I don't buy into that just yet, but... Definitely, we're going we're gonna to hope to have that. We're going to hope to keep pushing that forward. And uh, if we can do that for two, three weeks, then we'll be a solid team uh, entering the playoffs with the right mentality, playing the right way, and uh, who knows what can happen from there. And it takes a certain personality, doesn't it, to hold, especially people that are young who haven't played, to yeah. hold guys accountable. And you're, you're the veteran guy. How do you do, though? How, are you pretty good at holding guys accountable? Um, <laughs> I do it, yes. But... Uh, <laughs> 
it's not always easy because uh, the way I want to do it at times, uh, let's say like the way Walt did it to me, and it, it's, it's a new generation of young guys. You have to do it differently. And, yes, sometimes the emotion take over. You, you, you kind of feel like you're a little too hard at, at times for, for the situation maybe. But then the next day you realize, no, like it was, it was the right intentions. Like I had the right intention. You want to make the stuff right. Things weren't going well for us. It is what it is. And uh, I think the more guys do it, and, and honestly, I think the difference with the conversation nowadays, it, it's both ways. If it's an older guy that messes up and a guy like Tom who's been around already three, four years, we want to have a conversation about it. Well, let's go ahead. Let's, let's do it. And uh, I think that's why you'll, you're going to see Tom keep taking steps forward. And uh, I think he's a guy that moving forward is going to be a leader for us, for sure. I love that those lines of communication are open for you guys, David. I also wanted to bring you in. We have a a non-sports question for you, if that's okay. We had this debate on the station today, and I was like, we need to ask David Perron about this. He's a stylish guy. He's a cool guy. We need to get your opinion. So we have one of our (laughs) teammates here who is in, I think, his mid-30s, right, Randy? Mm -hmm. And he's wearing backwards hats a lot. And Randy over here thinks that there should be an age limit for guys that past a certain age, they shouldn't rock backwards hats. So what do you think should there be an age limit on the backwards hat that's a heck of a question it, it is it is funny when uh when you see like someone that's uh older like 45 50 and kind of obviously they maintain themselves they're in good shape they have good style but then they wear a backwards hat it's kind of a, a funny look so i i think possibly there could be an age limit but i i think maybe i'm gonna be uh um part of the group that will try and hang on as long as I can in that regard, so I don't know about that. We'll see. And I think it's different in a hockey rink. For whatever reason, hockey players seem to rock the backwards cap better and more than people outside of a hockey rink. Yeah, no, definitely. That's why I think I'm saying uh, a little bit of uh, an answer on both sides. Uh, When you see it in public, it it does look a little uh, odd. Uh, But then again, I'm doing it myself. I'm 33. We'll turn uh, 34 pretty soon, and uh, Hopefully I get to do it in the 40s because uh, that means I'll be, I'll be around the hockey team uh, long enough. Exactly. That's right. I think it's all about how you sell it. I, don't, I think that it's all about confidence. But, okay, backwards hats, we got a ruling. What about a flat bill hat? Do you think that that's a yay or a nay? Nah, no, I, I'm not a huge fan of those. Nope. Okay. Rolling so, from David Brown. There you go. David Brown and I are on the same page there. David, thanks so much <laughs> for the time. We appreciate it. Go get them against the Oilers, and we will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. Take care. Okay, bye. Thanks, David. David Perron on 101 ESPN Blues Oilers pregame tonight at 7, 8 o'clock. The face-off here on your Home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. We're going to head down the stretch, talk a little NCAA as we bring you what's on tap next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, think about if Illinois had made it this uh, far in the tournament and Curbelo had gotten hurt toward his, his Achilles. How would you feel about your, even though he didn't play in the second half, how would you feel about your team's chances if you lose your starting point guard? I wouldn't feel great. No, and that's what's happened to Villanova with Justin Moore. And that's why I think that KU has a decided advantage over Villanova tomorrow in the first game of the Final Four. Um, Curbelo's an interesting example there, Randy, because I'm sure there's a lot of Illini fans listening that wouldn't hate it that much because I'm sure Andre Curbelo mm-hmm. made them crazy at times or made them very nervous at times. Yeah, no doubt. But he's still the guy. Sure, right? I understand where you're going with this. And yeah. 
he is the big injury in this Final Four. It should be uh, the second game should be a really good game because even though North Carolina beat Duke twice this year, they were both good basketball games. And as everybody that we've talked to over the course of the last week has pointed out, Duke in the tournament has played their best basketball of the year. Yeah, they've really peaked at the right time. And they always want to win a national championship. But just think about everything that's on the line here. Not only do you want to get back at North Carolina for beating you twice and ending uh, your regular season in, in a way that you didn't want them to beating Coach K, but you do have that Coach K factor. This is the last chance for him to capture a national championship before he retires. I just think there's a lot of motivating factors there for Duke. Isn't that amazing? And you're 100% right, but you would think, okay, we're in the Final Four. We're as motivated as we can possibly be. But now you've even got something else to play for. Sometimes it's about playing for something that's not yourself. It's bigger than you. And I look at what's happened with Albert Pujols, Randy, coming mm-hmm. back to the Cardinals. And we talked to Nolan Arenado yesterday. This is a guy that wants to win. I mean, he wanted out of Colorado because he wants to win. And he's already in a clubhouse with guys who are desperate to win. He's already had Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina knowing that this is the end of the road for them, that being something that the, the team is looking towards as a reason for them to win. But then you throw Albert Pujols in the mix. Just because you're already there, or just because you're already at the peak of I am locked in, I want to win, doesn't mean that something else can't come on and be a catalyst to motivate you further. My hope would be that it's not just players, that if the Cardinals are in the hunt come trade deadline time, that Bill DeWitt Jr. will say, you know what? This is our last opportunity to win with these guys, with Albert and Yachty and and Wayno. If ever there was going to be an opportunity for the Cardinals to go all in, and by the way, I don't think it presented itself before Monday, before the Cardinals signed Albert Pools. Mm-hmm. But now, if you're in the hunt at the trade deadline, and nobody makes trades in May and June, it just doesn't happen. So throw that. People that wanted the Cardinals to go get starting pitching, there wasn't a starting pitcher traded last year until a week before the deadline. Mm-hmm. But when the deadline gets here, if there is something that will clearly make the Cardinals a world championship contender, I think that's one situation where Bill DeWitt and Cardinal management should go all in. If not now, when? I said this yeah. last year, but I believe it even more this season. This is a, a, the year and the team that you circled as the team to contend. You look at a very winnable division. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Not only that, you have the, these three guys in their last dance. And think about that, Randy. You know you're getting all of this ticket revenue and merchandise revenue from that. Go out there. Spend the money. Make the move. If you're not going to do it now, when are you going to do it? Not just spend the money, but be willing to part with the prospect that might wind up being Randy Rosarena. We won't get mad if you win the World Series. No one will care. No. Actually, we'll look at that prospect and say, thank you for dealing him. This was a good move. Even if he goes on right. to be the next Mike Trout, if you get one world, not only one World Series championship out of that move, but to do so with Yachty, Wayno, and Albert's last ride, mm-hmm. no one will ever care what that no. prospect turns into, yeah. ever. So Matthew's going to a concert tonight. Yeah. What's, the, what's the concert? You're going over to Powell Symphony Hall? Powell Symphony Hall for Ben Fold, one of my favorite artists since I was growing up, and he, and, and he does kind of different things where he does these concerts with like symphonies and orchestras and stuff like that. So it's, you know, taking like, you know, a classic, you know, guy who played, you know, you know, current music, and he's doing it with an orchestra. I'm really excited for it. Have fun with that. Great job today, as always. Pleasure. Uh, Michelle, thank you. This was fun. It was. You guys have a great weekend. I'll talk to you Monday. Oh, yeah. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the Final Four. Enjoy the Blues games. Enjoy the Cardinals as they head down the stretch of spring training. And uh, we will see you on Monday morning. For all of us, until Monday morning at 7, have a great weekend, St. Louis. 
You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.